Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to pack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Friday, August 5th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. A lot of really important things to get into. Oh, somebody's saying right out of the gate. Sound, let me know if you can hear me. Someone's saying it's muted. Always way to disjoint the beginning of the show. We had a lot of important things to talk about today. Monkeypox emergency, which you've seen yesterday. Biden declaring it for the United States, which is exactly what we predicted would be uh, rather would be possible should they have wanted to. All the trappings of the COVID-19 illusion are just ready to go for monkeypox or the next thing or the next thing after that. We're going to get into all this today in regard to how exactly that's being used. But there's a lot going on today. We're going to talk about a little bit of foreign policy, as we tend to do in the beginning, just to let you know what's going on. Talk about monkeypox and how that's all evolving. And some really big statements made by some big players in this conversation. Uh, for instance, Gert Vandenbosch has spoken up about how these injections, if given with a highly vaccinated population from COVID-19, will literally cause the thing they say they're trying to stop. Very interesting. Now, of course, he'll be dismissed, at, regardless of what side he comes from or who he worked with. doesn't matter because they do not want that to be the case. Vaccine good at all costs, regardless of the fact, science and what we're seeing it cause in the population. That's AKA trust the science, right? We're going to go over what they're pushing, how this is happening. The, the fact that there are no treatments for this, what they're pushing on people are, are smallpox vaccines that are wildly dangerous. They're only rationalized as useful in the context of how dangerous smallpox is. That being a vaccine based on cowpox, which is used for smallpox. Now they're using inferred animal trials to say that these things work for, for monkeypox. It's alarming. Even if they do work the way they say they do, they're dangerous. And I'll play that clip again today. This is right from the CDC documentation. It's alarming stuff. But to see how this is all developing, they're pointing out more cases, more with zero deaths still, regardless. But it's yet an emergency using the, the updated definition that they've used to allow things like swine flu and now COVID-19 to be declared public health emergencies of international concern because they removed the necessity for deaths. Because it totally makes sense, right? We're also going to talk about a really important statement made by Dr. Yeadon, which I'm not even going to say it just yet. I'd like to surprise you all for this if you haven't seen it. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's a big statement by somebody that I have a high opinion of. And we're going to get into it and and talk about the I don't, I'm not going to give it away. We'll wait till we get there. <laughs> it's a really big statement that a lot of our audience is going to like. Now, we're also going to talk about the COVID-19 situation and the fact that I, there are still colleges specifically in Canada, but all over the place at just not just colleges, but locations that are forcing mandating injections still as of right now, which is absolutely mind boggling. But We're going to get into an update around the pandemic of the injected and how just like we told you, you're no longer fully vaccinated. Especially, well, Israel's the main point we're going to make, but we've been seeing this everywhere. 
Now, if you don't have your booster, well, now you're the unvaccinated, terrible person that's causing everyone to get sick. You are now the problem. See how quickly that shifted. Now, suddenly, the very people that were the heroes of yesterday, quoting Philip's tweet here, are now the anti-vaxxers of today. It's, it's absolutely alarming to see how quickly this can change. But in Israel, the point is that now only about 7 to 8% of their population are actually considered vaccinated. After everything, one of the highest vaccinated places on the planet, just like that, you're no longer counted because they changed and moved the goalpost. But Scotland and a lot of other locations are continuing to show you the problem, the pandemic of the injected and how it's just exploding. And places like Alberta and what was the other location? Ontario, I think, were, I think, well, Alberta specifically, their largest number one cause of death today, unknown causes. So that's not hyperbole. That's not conspiracy theory. That's their statement. And of course, we can't prove that we know what all of those are, but it's amazing when you read through all the discussion, they're just baffled. We're completely baffled what in, what could possibly be causing this. Well, I could give you one really obvious example, but we also have collapsing athletes coming back up again, a story that's never gone away and very important conversation about how this is happening. And the point that I'll make again when we get there is that it doesn't really, I mean, it obviously matters to discuss the big correlation, the huge, gigantic Pfizer elephant in the room. But just removing the vaccination from the conversation, as a matter of fact, scientifically proven, statistically proven, we are seeing an unbelievably unprecedented amount of collapsing athletes, collapsing children, compared to any year you want to look at. The FIFA study and the NIH study, one of 10 years, I think one of six, and we're talking 10-year study of all collapsing athletes to that time frame. I think the FIFA one was multiple countries. And we're past both of those numbers right now for just this year of just collapsing athletes. How do you possibly ignore something like that? They'll try to say, it's not the vaccine. It's like, okay, well, then take the vaccine out of the conversation. How do you explain all of the collapsing people? Oh, we don't know. We're baffled. Well, how about we ask that question? And we're going to talk about more athletes in the matter of two weeks that are collapsing that are alarming. Also, the conversation about the collapsing, or not collapsing, but the, the doctors that have suddenly died. Again, I find it relevant that anybody suddenly died who got this injection where nobody wants to make the connection or rather ask the question, because I'm not saying it's guaranteed. But the simple point that, or the point that I made before is I'm not sure why they're starting to focus on just doctors around different countries and areas that are collapsing, I, I, or that are dying un, unexplainably. I think it's important that we look at everything unless there's something that connects all these doctors. Because the one thing was there was four or five in one location. That I found pretty interesting. Otherwise, it's kind of an arbitrary point. Instead of we should just look at everybody that's happening to because it's quite a lot. We'll go through all of the problems we're talking about and the heart attacks, the strokes that are continuing to be explained away by anything else, including a Daily Mail article that says experts warn that your loneliness could cause your heart attacks and strokes to go through the roof. So could the injections four or five times they're putting in their body. But nah, not that. Not that stuff that they've proven can cause that. But it's fake news when you talk about it. Absolutely not. Oh, I'm going to make an important point around the child hospitalizations and deaths today, reiterating stuff that we've talked about a lot because it's coming back again where experts are screaming about how you have to get your children injected because you're a bad person if you don't. It's just so completely unscientific and dangerous what they're doing. We'll talk a little bit about the mandates and stuff then the illusion that those were, but we're going to finish with an important discussion around the manufactured food crisis. And as well as an interesting point that my brother's been pointing out a lot that the water part of this as well we obviously are seeing a manufactured crisis or we're, you don't have to take my word for it we're seeing a food supply issue i very clearly believe that they're manufacturing this 
But there's a water aspect to this, too, that we're seeing a control because it's just as important to understand, if not more important, the flow of or the control of your water source. It's actually more important than the, the water because it can happen much more quickly. But both of them are happening. And I find it very interesting as they're leading right into the great reset direction that we're finding in the climate change discussion that we'll poke at at the end. But to start off, I wanted to give a shout out to a really great discussion I had with Allison Morrow. Uh, in that we this was uh, we were joined by Nazarene Veronica, and she was one of the people that was on this BBC documentary called Unvaccinated, which was actually originally going to be called Why Aren't You Vaccinated? Or in fact, Why Aren't You Vaccinated Yet? Both of those were names that were circulating on their documentation. It, this is what Nazarene told us, and, and the point being, it's you know condescending, and of course that's how it ended up where it was just this massive dragging their names through the mud, making fun of them, acting like their opinions were stupid, not engaging with what they thought or letting them ask questions. Really, it had nothing to do with why are you on back? It was why aren't you doing what we think you should do? And anything they say was ridiculous, even though it wasn't. And we had her on, or rather Allison had her on the show. Allison invited me to bring the scientific discussion of the you know, studies that I've been looking over to counter the points that they were bringing. And it was very easy to do as you guys have seen us do on the show many times. And you watch the show, you'll see it very rapid fire. And it was all the points that we go through. And it was very easy to show that at the very least, that they should not be shooting people down for asking valid questions about fertility issues or whether or not people can transmit this. It's very basic stuff that we've talked about. But as you can see on the show, uh, the, the uh, tweet here, somebody tagged Robert Stewart, in fact, brought this up again, and I just think this is an interesting point to, to relate to BBC, of all people. What you're looking at here, eight years ago today, it says, as Parliament voted on joining U.S. airstrikes in Syria, on Syria, this was in the 2021, he posted this, BBC News broadcast this footage of victims of an incendiary attack being treated at an Aleppo hospital. This is the, the most unrealistic, fake I mean, it's, it's, and by the way, this is fake. This is 100% fake. You can see the makeup on their bodies. This was shared as real. It's a bunch of people in one room with, it's, you guys can see it for yourselves on Instagram. You guys can't see it. It's ridiculous. You guys have seen it before though in our conversations. It's fake. This is a manufactured illusion that was used by the BBC. And we've seen many of these. So why we trust them today, why anybody does is beyond me. But this is what they do. They are one of the most obvious, blatant propaganda outlets out there. I think all of them in corporate media are to some degree, but my God, you know, or like we can see the mannequin challenge kind of stuff where they pretended they were doing that, where really they were faking a white helmet situation. There's a lot of this stuff out there, but watch this interview. It was really well done. And there's a lot of important stuff to find out how they willfully took her out of context edited parts from a different conversation and used her reactions on this part of the conversation. Like, I don't know how anybody can call themselves a journalist and do stuff like that. I believe it's because if, if they actually care about convincing themselves of doing the right thing, it's the whole lying for your truth thing we always talk about, where they go, well, we know she's wrong, so even if we edit this dishonestly, we're still selling the right point. No, no, you're not. You're a bad person. But I want to include this one point here before we start with a little foreign policy. I can't believe this is actually happening. This is right out of the conspiracy theory, never going to happen, fake news, tinfoil hat conversation, meaning that's what they call people that say these things. They're taking your guns. They're going for your guns. Oh, you're so fake news. Canada to ban handgun imports. Let me say that again. Handgun imports are banned in Canada, until, or they're going to, until the passage of another gun control law which God knows how long that'll take, but what's going to be inside of that law? 
the fact that they can, I mean, we're, we're now coming from an American perspective, obviously second amendment is, is an important conversation, but regardless guys, the idea that they are telling you what you can own in regard to your, I mean, it's, it's handguns of all things. I mean, what's the justification there? This is showing their hand. Guns are their, the problem in their mind, not certain guns, not certain people that own guns, but just you being able to own guns. Now, plenty of people have opinions about that, but coming from an American perspective, it's just off the rails that we can even argue this is justifiable. But we'll have to see what happens. I just wanted to include that because I saw it before I went live and I thought it was pretty crazy. Now, foreign policy. Sarah Abdallah reports that Israel is bombing Gaza right now. This was yesterday. Or excuse me, that she reported this today. I believe they were bombing last night and into today. So far, at least eight Palestinians have been killed, including a five-year-old child and 44 have been wounded. Did you hear about this in the corporate media? Of course not. You probably, if you did, it was probably responding to something they said they did or something with no verification. Israel tells them that. That's what all the corporate media reports without any verification. And even if the only verification would be what happened, tell us Israel's government. Okay, that's what we will say. That's it. That's all that happens. That's all that ever happens. My point in that every single time is there's no video of this. We don't even know what happens. They claim rockets were fired. I'm not even saying that's what happened this time. I doesn't for at this point I find it irrelevant because how many times I've made it clear that even if they were the first ones to to let's say Palestinians just decided to fire a rocket that is protected under the Geneva Conventions under the idea that they are an occupied territory as the UN has always maintained they have a right to armed rebellion end the conversation there's nothing else to be said in regard to whether or not it was justified then we have to talk about all the obvious things like Amnesty International, Betselem, Human Rights Watch, all reporting within the last year that this is an apartheid state and it's completely un unjustifiable. But let's just pretend like that doesn't matter because it doesn't to the U.S. government. They don't care at all. And that's why this is being completely ignored. As she points out, where's the moral outrage from our mainstream media? Or is that just confined to the Nazis in Ukraine? Right. I added that the Nazi part because that's what's happening. But think about how insulting this is. Why does nobody care that this is happening? I don't care if you agree with it or not. There's not a legal justification for that to be happening. And it is. It will continue because the government that acts like this is OK will ignore things here. Point them out over there. China, that's bad when China does it, but it's OK when we do it. It's OK. Bad guy when Russia does it, but it's OK when Saudi Arabia does it. It's ridiculous. I don't even if you think that they have the right to decide it's complete double standards all across the world as they do some of the worst things that we can point out. And just just in my life, I have seen unbelievable amounts of everything you could point out to get out to get too obscene with it all around the world, conducted by the governments that are supposedly spreading freedom around the world. And these things continue to be allowed, ignored. Now, here's Secretary Anthony Blinken. I join my fellow GC foreign ministers in reaffirming our shared commitment to maintaining the rules-based international order, peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and beyond. Now, just since that's mentioned, I wasn't going to get into it, but the point is that the whole process is embarrassing, what's going on with Taiwan. How the idea of, of Nancy Pelosi going there and acting like they're the ones overblowing it, acting, well, first of all, the, all the hype about shooting things down and war and everything that could have happened, which is exactly what I said wouldn't happen for a thousand different reasons. And what they did is exactly what you would expect it, a political response. And they, they brought out a bunch of their war games and they acted and they were, they, they did what you would expect them to do in a political situation. 
and then they go there blowing it out of proportion. Can you imagine what the U.S. government would do if, if China just went over to, to Hawaii, went over to Puerto Rico, went over to any one of these locations that they claim they own and just said, well, we're just speaking to them about their freedom. We're discussing with them whether they should be independent or not, which is totally acceptable anywhere except where the U.S. doesn't want it to happen. You know, like in the Donbass region or Palestine or Yemen, you know, that's off limits, bad guy stuff. But anywhere else that we want it to happen, well, you're a terrorist if you say we can't let them do that. There's so much politics involved in what's happening here, and none of it has to do with whether they care about them being free. It's embarrassing. But the point here is that Secretary Anthony Blinken, acting like they care about a rules-based international order, what about the illegal blockade on Yemen? What about the illegal occupation of Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan? Nobody cares about these rules when it comes to what they claim they want to do. I mean, I could go off for a 15 minutes about all the thousand different ways they're violating UN treaties and their own laws. How about the fact that they're currently arming the Azov Battalion in Ukraine? Their own law explicitly states that can't happen, whether directly or indirectly. And it's currently happening because they have some justification for it. Well, that doesn't matter. Can I run the red light and be like, oh, I can explain? <laughs> no, you can't do that. There's a law and they'll enforce it, but not when they do it. That's called the hypocritical double standard. Now, going on to the next part, Ukrainian forces put civilians at risk. You know who just said that? Amnesty International. It's amazing, though, that you won't be allowed to hear it because they don't want to talk about the things that show that they've been lying to you this entire time. Kiev is routinely using schools and hospitals as military bases. Well, look at that. You know who's been talking about that? We have. Eva Bartlett has. Patrick Lancaster has. Repeatedly showing you they are doing that for, by the way, exactly like the Syrian rebels were doing using these things so when they were attacked they flip out and say they bombed a school or a hospital even though they could prove that's not what happened in most cases they were holding people hostage which is the point and now we're seeing it proven in ukraine again literally every part that they spun around this narrative is completely collapsed that's why most people are kind of distancing themselves from the conversation even people coming online and saying you know what guys i apologize to all those i was yelling at there are obviously Nazis in Ukraine. Yes, we should realize that. And you know why? Because the CIA has been building them since 1948. Rather, the OS, the, before the CIA, the OSS, which is the CIA. And then after, I think, 52, when they were 53, when they became the CIA. The point is, they built this entity. It's called Project Aerodynamic. I did an entire report on it. And they're building what they called a fascist entity to be used against the Soviet Union, which then became Russia. And it continued to this day. It's, I could go off on the guy's name, Mikhail Lebed, the U Ukrainian organization for, uh, was it the Ukra U organization for Ukrainian nationalists was the group. This guy was a known Nazi war criminal. They used him. They made him a leader, both in the United States and in Ukraine. Bottom line, I did a whole report on this. The point is that this is what they made, just like they made them, they created the, or put together the Mujahideen in Afghanistan to use against the Soviet Union from that angle. That was a fascist entity they created to use against them. Look what that became. It became Al-Qaeda, which became ISIS, which is everywhere. It's the exact same situation. I think the, the amazing part about this is we pretend that nobody, that everybody can't see this. I think the corporate media narrative is what stops people from seeing the reality. The evidence is there. They're caught from 15 different angles. They just shout you down when you talk about it in a corporate stage. But Amnesty International is telling you they are using people as, as human shields. They're using hospitals, military, and schools as their own bases. And yet, this is not, I mean, I don't even know how, <laughs> that this is allowed to continue. 
that nobody talks about it, that they can point over there and say all that's happening? Well, maybe it is over there, too. But why can't you point out what's happening in the group that you're funding, that you're arming, that you're protecting, that you've grown because there's an agenda playing out? Now, here's what's funny, as you guys can see on the screen. I posted this link and quoted it exactly. And that's from the Secretary General of Amnesty International. And yet they still black it out because stay informed. Tweets like this are state Russia affiliated. Look at that. That's why I posted the picture down here. But how embarrassing is that? That's Twitter blocking factual discussion. Not, as it says, quote, we have documented a pattern of Ukrainian forces putting civilians at risk and violating the laws of war when they operate in populated areas. Actually, there was one other uh, quote that I wanted to read. It says being in a, uh, where was it? Right here, I think. Yeah, it noted in some places where it assessed that Russian forces delivered unlawful and discriminate strikes on residential areas. It did not find evidence of the presence of Ukrainian troops. Ukrainian military uh, used civilian objects did not in any way justify. Oh, no, that's the other part. Well, see, this, this, what's important to point out is they're arguing, and you could, this is a different discussion, but valid, as I've said from the beginning, that nobody should trust the Russian government. Nobody should trust the Ukrainian government. Nobody should trust the U.S. government. The point is to question all of what's happening. But they're pointing out that there are there is no evidence of Ukrainian troops in the areas they claim where these attacks happen. To be clear, though, that does not say that they proved Russia carried out those attacks. They could have, of course. The point is always is you don't just get to argue that because Russia bad guy. Evidence matters. And what Amnesty's pointing out is we have very clear evidence that they did this in these schools. But there was, uh, where was the point? Um, military should never use hospitals. I, I, I didn't highlight it. I forgot to. I'll come back to it later or maybe not. But the bottom line was Amnesty's calling out the Ukrainian military for doing that. And now they won't let you see it because they don't want you to get involved. Here's Eva Bartlett pointing out during Ukraine's bombing of central Donetsk a couple hours ago, which, by the way, is repeatedly happening just bombing directly into the middle of a massive civilian area. There's no front line there. They're just bombing civilian areas over and over and over and over. And it's been happening for a decade, but now it's continuing while this is happening, even while there's corporate media present in the area and they do not report this to you. It's insulting. At least five in the first few minutes. And there's dead people in this uh, domestic or civilian area and she just follows up and says, troll allegations are that I blurred the part with the dead woman because she's actually alive and it's false. Well, she blurred it because Twitter would block her if she didn't, and she links to the unblurred video. Don't you love how that works? Just quickly say, fake news, fake news, and then here's the proof, and they just shut up and go away. Look at it for yourself. It's, it's disgusting. And here's one of the young children. This was a young girl who was killed. This was on the 4th of August by Ukrainian shelling in Donetsk that's verifiably being shelled by Ukraine. Where's the outrage? Where's the media discussing the, the death of this child? You can imagine how it would be if it was a child anywhere else. On top of that, we just discussed Luis Mensch basically calling out for the Ukrainian service to locate Eva Bartlett and saying where she was, tagged them and said, look, did you see this? Here's where she is. Well, guess what? She will, the way George frames it, and I agree, Luis Mensch wanted the secret service of the Ukrainian government to target journalists, specifically Eva Bartlett. Well, guess what? Right after that, Ukraine struck the hotel where journalists were staying. Did you hear that on the corporate media? No, you did not, because there's an agenda to cover up all of that or rather ignore that it's happening. Can you imagine that? She literally goes, here's Eva Bartlett, and then within days they bomb the area? Come on, guys. It's very obvious what's happening, and these are terrible, terrible human beings that think it's acceptable to point out somebody who they disagree with and have attacked, just like the blogger that was assassinated in his car for reporting about Russian side of the story in Ukraine, and nobody cared except alternative media. 
Now, to jump into the monkey pox discussion, and this is really alarming where this is all going, because we've been watching this develop. We've been watching this come, and we were, you know, predicting that it was most likely that this would happen. I just didn't know whether or not they would pull the trigger on this, because this is really ridiculous. Zero deaths. How in the world can you have zero deaths and declare a public health emergency? I mean, that's what, what that's beginning to lay the set the table for is it's all about what might happen tomorrow. That's it. Which then means you're trusting the government to tell you what will might or what might happen, what will happen. And then, of course, that opens the door to their medical pre-crime discussion where they can use wastewater samples to tell you that they see something coming. And maybe they do. Or maybe they just say that. Or maybe they think they do. And either way, the idea is that because we did something, nothing happened. And maybe that's the case. But the point is you never know. And you have to trust the government that just lied to you about this entire thing. Biden administration declares monkeypox a public health emergency. And the very first thing it says, this follows a similar announcement from the WHO. I wonder why. I wonder why that one led to the next, because that's how this is working. And then once they build the, or rather finish out the treaty with teeth, which is what the WHO just agreed to push forward, which means they have a legally binding treaty. They can force countries to do things. This is what you would see, but from a legally bound perspective. This is August 4th. Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Bracera made the announcement citing an increase in cases across the U.S. That's it. An increase in cases using a PCR test that is dramatically abused, that is still being abused right now. That doesn't mean that there's not cases. Even if there were this many cases, does that, does that necessitate an emergency? It does not. Historically, the exact opposite of that. But it says across the U.S. and growing concerns regarding access to treatment. So now the, uh, the, the concern that not enough people can be treated is, an, is enough to declare an emergency? Well, we're seeing this broken logic everywhere. The hypothetical, the, uh, the fact that we need to do it to unleash the funding that we can use to then allow more treatment. It's just political talk. And the point is that most people in this country do not agree with this. And that's an easy thing to prove. Quote, we're prepared to take our response to the next level in addressing this virus. And we urge every American to take monkeypox seriously and take responsibility to help us tackle the virus. What do you think that means? Being treated for it, taking the injections they're pushing on everybody right now, despite the fact that nobody's dying, that there's not a real risk to most ever to most everybody out there and that it's incredibly dangerous. What they're trying to get people to take is very, very dangerous. One in a million people will die, according to them. One in a thousand with one of these injections will allow it to spread. You become contagious in one in a thousand cases, according to the CDC. I'll show it to you next. This is Star Wilson posting the most recent uh, clip that she put up for TLAV. No treatment for monkeypox, it's called. Let's take a look at this. Now, this is just a, uh, what is it? Let's see. Two minutes, and 19, two minutes, 19 seconds long breakdown of my previous discussion of this. Let's see. And here we go. Well, here's my discussion of this. The push for dangerous treatment of non-emergency monkeypox. That's what's happening. This is still the most recent page. June 17, 2022. This is from the CDC. There are no treatments specifically for monkeypox virus infections. Period. They have a smallpox vaccine. They've got a different smallpox, newer vaccine. And they've got T-pox treatment. All of which are dangerous. I've gone over every single one of them. Watch this show for a more in-depth coverage of this. But just the one that I want you to see. 
is what they're pushing. Here is this. This is one of the injections, all of which have similar problems. Not all are live virus scenarios, but these are being given right now. These are some of the things that they're using. As it says on the CDC website, guys, for every 1,000 vaccinated, one person experiences a life, but a serious, but not life threatening reaction. These reactions may require medical attention. Here's what they're talking about. Spreading the vaccinia virus, the cowpox virus, by touching the vaccination site and then touching another part of the body or another person. It usually occurs on the genitals or the face, including the eyes. So the point is you can take this vaccine and one in every thousand people will be potentially spreading the very thing you're being vaccinated against. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's for something that's not killing anybody. So all you're going to do is increase, you're, you're forcing everyone to go out there and get these injections. I mean, how many people will get injected for one in every, and see that that's the craziest part for me right there. So one in a million, even one in a million deaths, because that's the next part. One in a million people. Well, actually, I, I keep doing that and that's inaccurate. It's actually between 14 and 52 people out of every million will die. So that's why it's about 35 on, you know, averaging it out out of a million will die. So you're literally taking something where nobody's dying, not one person inside the United States, and you're giving people injections that will then guarantee people will die. How do you even make sense of that? How is that safe and effective where benefits outweigh the risks and all the nonsense we're about to hear about this? How do you possibly make sense of that? You're increasing your risk of mortality by taking this injection, even if you have monkeypox. And I shouldn't even say it like that because I don't believe this is even the right thing, especially for that. But think about how crazy it is and then realize that one in every thousand will be actively able to respread whatever that is. It, I don't think it's monkeypox. We're talking about vaccinia, which is the cowpox. I mean, that's crazy. And this, and this is the right thing to do. This is what they're doing right now. Every thousand. They then can get sick and spread that to how many you know, forcing everyone to go out there and get these injections. I mean, how many people will get injected for one in every thousand? They then can get sick and spread that to how many knows people after that? And we're talking about cases that are so minimal with no deaths and acting like that makes sense. You're manufacturing a pandemic with that. And on top of that, and are life threatening, it also says that between 14 and 52 people will die out of every million vaccinated. Now, that's ridiculous. The argument is because smallpox is so dangerous. But with something that's killing nobody, nobody, we're going to give them something that kills possibly 52 people out of every million. Yeah, 330 million people in the country. People die to take this for something that doesn't kill you. How does that make sense? Now, the same thing goes for T-pox, and I've gone over all of them. You can check it all out here. I went in depth on this. They're using animal studies from the, the cowpox for smallpox vaccine and inferring that information without human trials to say that this works for monkeypox. That doesn't make sense. That's assuming that's even what's happening. shoot dang it my mic was muted apologies about that guys so all i was saying was that this it just it doesn't make any sense as I, it, it's actually more ridiculous in regard to the justification for the injection to art for monkeypox versus covid19 and it's actually more ridiculous because nothing about this adds up and they're pushing it anyway <laughs> sorry guys so they're, they're i didn't mean to to mute myself on accident going forward though 
here is what's happening in Australia. They've now purchased 450,000 monkeypox injections after a total outbreak of 58 cases. Now, how much you want to bet the moment they start giving those injections, you see the thing. This is what we saw in Australia, New Zealand, and a lot of other places. They have no problem, very minimal at most, until after the vaccination administration, injection administration, and the problem skyrockets. 58 cases and you buy 450,000 injections that their taxpayers pay for. And by the way, this, as they point out, most of which were foreign travelers. I just... This is happening, guys. I mean, they're they're building this now. It's possible this could be just a kind of a precursor to the, the you know make us focus on this and something else happens. I mean, I, buying and selling vaccines doesn't happens regardless, right? But this is feeling like this is the next thing. A communicable disease of national significance on the 28th of July, and this followed the WHO declaration on the 23rd of July. Uh, we know that uh, this is an issue. Uh, which is causing concern, and, and both uh, Paul and Mark will report uh, more on it here. So on the monkeypox outbreak on the 20th of May, the day before the federal election, which was the day after the first case was notified here in Australia on the 19th of May. That was only two weeks after the first case had been notified outside of Africa in the United Kingdom. <clears throat> that is all using PCR test. How in the world we can go from... PCR test being, I mean, at the very least disputed by a lot of high-level experts, including the person who made the test before we got here, and plenty of others that cite the same information and prove to you using their own tests, using scientific studies and elsewhere, that there is a high false level of false positives. Even the CDC was forced to admit a level that was less than what it actually is, but they did admit false positives. So we know that. As a matter of fact, we know for certain this test has false positives. And the higher you go in the cycle threshold, typically over 40, 35, technically, you have a high level. And that's what they're using, 40 to 45, right now. So we are watching this happen again. doesn't mean there's not those cases, certainly could be, but the bottom line is we are using something that's by no means definitive as the definitive test. It's, it's a self-fulfilling self prophecy. <clears throat> and in those uh, 13 weeks, the CDC in the US reports that there are more than 25,000 cases now in 76 countries outside of the endemic areas of Africa, including 58 cases which have been reported here in Australia. Uh, on that same day, the 20th of May, the, the government, which was then the former government, then, then, uh, then the Albanese government, started negotiations with Bavarian Nordic. Uh, we've had 27 meetings with that company since then to secure supplies of their third-generation vaccine, uh, which is a vaccine that can obviously prevent the transmission of monkeypox virus but also be used as a post-exposure treatment. And I'm pleased to announce that this week we have secured a, an agreement for the supply of 450,000 doses of that third-generation vaccine. 20 I literally just played this. We're talking about the same things. I, it's amazing to me that we can, they, he can stand there and argue, one, that this is for monkeypox, despite the fact that what they're pointing at is something that is made for smallpox, or rather for a cowpox used for smallpox, and is just simply being shifted over. The CDC's own website right now says there is no treatment specifically for monkeypox. That's a fact. And yet here he is standing up, as always, as a politician and saying what he wants you to hear. 
which I mean, think if, if you even take and let's just say we made the same kind of a statement as a anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorist and simply just, you know, br- lightly pushed it over to say, well, it's technically not for this, but we but we're going to use it. So we'll we'll say that you'll be censored as misinformation. But for them, as long as you lie or misinform in the direction of pro-vaccine, it doesn't matter. They've made that very, very clear. 2,000 of which will be arriving in Australia this week and next week. Um, The remainder of 100,000 over the course of the rest of this year and 350,000 doses uh, into 2023. Uh, This... See, I keep doing this because of because of Instagram. It's your fault. I mute it so I can talk to them, and then I forget to bring it back. My apologies, guys. I can't. Sec- I won't let it happen again. The point here is that they're they're literally saying that we are going to buy more in 2023, into 2023. So it's the same concept as like we saw with COVID 19. They're letting us see that they believe, at the very least, that this is going to last until then, if not longer. It, it's it is alarming. We need to start seeing what they, what they, their actions and what they show you. Now, here is from yesterday, yes, from yesterday, a Yahoo News article talking about the, it's, the, this is, this thing is spreading. It's here. This is the, the kind of articles you see when they're beginning to, you know, in, insert the narrative that this is not going away. This is a real thing and it's actually happening and you should be scared. Exactly like we saw with COVID-19. How much you want to bet? Mark my words, my prediction is that we'll eventually find some documentation that they collected, gathered, and discussed how they would get you to take these injections. Just like we saw with COVID-19 in the UK and elsewhere. They got meetings about how to scare you into taking it. And my God, how that turned out to be. I mean, right now, whether they knew it or not, the evidence is unbelievably, it's, it's criminal. We know they knew it wouldn't stop transmission. We know they knew that there was higher risk than they let you know. And then they gathered and said, how can we scare them and trick them into taking it? Because we think it's the right thing. Is that even what they actually thought? Who does it matter? So here, mark my words. We're going to find that out. I, I promise you my opinion that they're going to, we're going to find out that they discussed how to, you know, incentivize is the word they would use you into getting this, despite the fact that you don't need it. This is August 4th. <clears throat> this thing is spreading. It's here. First Georgia woman, woman with monkeypox, speaks out about diagnosis. Now, this is the one point that really stands out to me about this is they keep forcing in that narrative about men that have sex with men, even though they then follow up by going, well, we don't even know why that makes sense. Well, then why does it keep getting stated? The evidence doesn't seem to back that up. I mean, they keep pushing that idea, like historically, I mean. If that's the case here, why? What changed? And then why would we see the children they're pointing at or women that they're seeing or plenty of people that aren't? I mean, there, there's a lot of example of how that does not seem to be the case. But let me, let me read it for you and you'll see yourself. According to the CDC, there are more than 6,000 cases nationwide. In Georgia, there are 504. Four of these cases are women. The point being, first of all, PCR test. So I don't know why we would take these numbers at face value. By the way, in addition to that, excuse me, 
all of the things that we reported on that look like this, that the vaccine can cause. Whether we're talking, I mean, there's, there's at least four different things. One of them being, you know, blisters and rashes or the idea that there was, I think it was uh, scoliosis, I think. No, scoliosis, that's the back. What's the name? Oh, psoriasis. That's what it was. That, that has very severe versions of it can look very similar. Not to say that that's obvious that it is that or that it looks exactly the same, but it's easy to see how somebody could convince themselves. Having a little bit of a rash breakout, they rush in, they get a PCR test. They say, yep, there you go, monkeypox, false positive. Next thing you know, that's a case on the record. That, that is exactly what we saw with COVID. I promise you, to a degree, that's happening, 100%. Because this is a test with a very high false positive rate with how they're using it. It's as simple as that. It's not an opinion. I can't tell you to what degree, because I'm honest about it, but that's the case. But women are getting this now. So how do you explain that? I mean, again, I'm not taking it at face value, by the way. I'm not buying it. I'm just saying using their narrative, they're saying women are getting it. So how do you explain that? If it's men-to-men transmission, even predominantly, how do they get it? And if they did get it, why would it be not transmissible to everybody else around them, women or anybody else? Like, it doesn't add up. As they say, it says, I'm in the healing stages, this person you can see with these little spots around their face. And he says, I just thought it was a breakout. So the first takeaway here, second takeaway, I guess, is that it was like a, a breakout in her face. She said it went along with headaches and chills and fatigue. That's it. It didn't go away, so she got tested. The PCR test told her that she had this, so that's what they said it was. Is it? Who knows? PCR test false positives are always a caveat. But my point is, headaches and chills and fatigue, and then these, the breakout in her face. That's it. Which is pretty much what they will tell you is the case. It's very rare that you're going to have anything more severe than some flu-like symptoms. Mo- you're, nobody's dying from this in the United States, if that's even what we're talking about. And yet we're pushing things that will kill people. As a matter of fact, this is, I, I, and this is an emergency. I mean, look, even if you're talking about something that has a, you know, pox and whatever else, the point is that it seems pretty benign in regard to the, the risk of death. But it's an emergency. Because that's what happens in a biosecurity state. It says infectious disease doctors said those currently impacted by the most by this are gay or bisexual men. They just keep nailing that in. Also, it says doctors also said anyone can contract the virus through close contact. So how do you make those two sentences add up? Why would it be only gay or bisexual men except they can spread through close contact with anybody? Explain that. Now, I mean, there's obvious points you could make. But that doesn't make, at the very least, why they keep pushing that idea when they don't know what's actually happening. Seton is a cashier, this person, and believes she likely caught monkeypox at work. Again, so you had close enough contact at work for this to happen? The kind of contact they're arguing between, you know, people having sex? Or at the very least, as they point out, like being inside sharing sheets? I just, it doesn't really seem to add up to me. It says, I just want y'all to know, she says explicitly, that I did not do anything sexual to contract this disease. The thing is spreading. It's here, she says. Okay, so no sexual activity, just happened at work, according to her, no close contact, but yet it happened. But yeah, we'll keep nailing in the idea. Something about this doesn't make sense. She put up a GoFundMe. Last I checked, she had like (laughs) $11,000. That worked out. But going forward, this is the interesting part to me. Gert Vandenbosch, I think, believe it was formerly with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but yet spoke out about COVID-19. I had my suspicions there in the beginning, and I still do with most everybody. But here's what he says. Vaccination of vulnerable groups against monkeypox virus, or MPV, in a highly COVID-19-injected population, 
will drive adaptive evolution of the monkeypox virus and ignite multi-country epidemics in poorly COVID-19 vaccinated countries, which is interesting because it, 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 bottom line is what he's arguing, and you could read into it however you want, is that the using these injections in a highly va- injected population for COVID-19 will cause this thing to explode. Very interesting. He also has some interesting discussions about the flu vaccine on top of all of it, that people shouldn't do that as well. It's very interesting, but it doesn't go along with what we're being told by the supposed experts. But it's sort of like we heard with the COVID-19 injections, isn't it? But you won't hear this discussed. You won't even hear this acknowledged as if it might be, it'll be dismissed because it's not what the lock, step, toe the line argument is from the corporate media. Now, here is a clip of Dr. Jay Bhattachara speaking about monkeypox in the same way and, and making, here's what's interesting about me, by the way, his points are interesting. But what I want to point out first is how this is how the two-party illusion works and how Fox News, even though they're making a lot of good points here, is still starting this off as if we know that the sex transmission and that men-to-men contact is the real reason this is happening, and yet then start to go on top of that and say, but look how they're not pushing that. Look at how they're hiding that. Well, is that defined or is that just a partisan point that's being used to act like their woke politics are not allowing them to attack people that are gay? Like this is taking it as, as as a given because of the partisan point. Shouldn't we ask whether that's even what's happening? That's how the two party illusion works. And they shoehorn these points in. They get taken at face value because people are so quick to chomp at the bit to say, oh, Democrats are stupid or vice versa. And I I can't stand the two party paradigm and how it's and people just refuse to break themselves away from it. And that's why we get attacked from all sides, because people don't want to acknowledge that stuff. Dr. Bhattacharya, I have to get to this. This is another story that we're going to see the same type of stuff going on. The left's one-size-fits-all approach to the COVID lockdowns, we know about that. Right, the left, right? The left, because nobody on the right did any lockdowns? It's ridiculous. This entire country locked down during Trump's administration, but yeah, the, the, the left's only. Now, yes, there was a difference, very much so. But it's frustrating to me that we have we can't acknowledge that it was a Republican president that initiated the state of emergency that allowed the lockdowns to take place in the first time, the first time. I mean, and and to try to argue that the state of emergency was justified because we'll live in information, whatever they try to argue from a partisan stance is stupid. That was not justified. We obviously know that now. And it just doesn't matter how you spin this, but it's always like that because it's an easy partisan point and it allows Republicans to think that they're on the right side of history and they're. The government did this to you. Stop trying to take a partisan side or you will always end up on the failing losing side, which is the people of this country versus the government. But then when it comes to this monkeypox, the Washington Post says that sex is a major driver of the global outbreak. But health officials and longtime HIV activists say calls for abstinence don't work. And what about this today from USA Today, which outlines how monkeypox can be transmitted. It mentions broken skin, hugging animals, and leaves out one very important transmission source. Dr. Bhattacharya. Now, again, before he speaks up, this is my point. Like, it seems incredibly up in the air whether the men-to-men transmission idea is even sound, as I just went over. At the very least, it's questionable because we see it spreading with women. We see it spreading without sexual contact. So it seems like a little bit of an a intentional argument. Remember that 41%, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, of people that are being tested positive for this have HIV. I, I, there's something very, very alarming and disconcerting about this whole process, knowing that we're seeing vaccine-induced immunodeficiency happening because of these injections. 
which is which is HIV. We're talking about human around uh, HIV, rather AIDS, which is acquired immunodeficiency. That's what that. It's the same thing. We're watching immunodeficiency arise based on injections, and that's and and this overlap is weird to me. There's something going on there. But the idea that we're they're omitting the thing that they first inserted, which didn't make sense to begin with, that seems like they're working together. The illusion, two parts of the paradigm. I, that's my opinion. But you see my point? That's not sound. That's not settled yet. But because they want to make it as if they're omitting that point, next thing you know from the rights argument, it's going to be only gay men. That's the only thing that's happening. And they're trying to cover it up. Watch. And that's not right. There's something going on here. Um, why the sudden change here and what this actually is? Well, I think part of the problem here is, is the history of HIV. Well, we stigmatized, public health ended up stigmatizing a lot of uh, HIV, of, of, of um, gay individuals, and they wanted to avoid that. But by bending over backwards to avoid that, they actually created harm for the gay population. Now, don't forget, guys, that the whole discussion about whether or not HIV is something that causes AIDS is a very big caveat. And this should make so much more sense with where we are today about whether or not there is something called SARS-CoV-2 and whether that, if there, causes what they're calling COVID-19. Or, as I'm about, I'll play from you, Dr. Yeadon, making a statement. Yeadon is now of the, of the opinion that there's literally nothing. Just like Dr. Ran, Danny Rancourt, PhD. His study, as I keep referencing, makes the argument that they've manufactured this using flu numbers, pneumonia, which I've been saying from the very beginning. PIC is their reporting number. Pneumonia, influenza, COVID-19 are one number that they give you under COVID-19. That's why it just disappeared. It's not a secret. It's pretty obvious. But that, coupled with what the things were being caused and whether maybe there was something. I mean, you could make arguments about what was happening in this country before we got there. But with or without that, the point is that then you see the injections being given, which then cause problems, which then get called COVID-19. And this is statistically very clearly possible, whether or not you think that's what happened. So the idea is that that's something to consider about that, uh, the HIV AIDS discussion, that it could very well be that the injections they gave for something they said they were fighting is what led to the problem. It seems very likely based on the the VADES conversation that's proven. This is peer-reviewed science finding autoimmunity problems. So that's all that means. Vaccine-induced autoimmunity deficiency is what we're talking about. But that being said, they, they, if they just, to avoid that, they actually created harm for the gay population. They, they, if they just with compassion and truth says, said, look, these activities are putting you at risk. Uh, you know, it, 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 I think most, most people are rational. Uh, they would understand that, that these activities are putting them at risk. I, I don't, I, I, they could have then had more cooperation for vaccination for the high-risk groups. They could have done a focused protection strategy with compassion. Instead, they tr are trying to do, the, they made the same problem that, or in HIV. They tried to pretend that everyone was equally at risk. The same problem with COVID. Everyone is equally at risk. Yeah, uh, that was to a get mistake. Little... And I... Yeah. Well, again, that the I, this was a main point around the first assuming that the HIV AIDS over you know is something that one leads to the other. The argument, the argument is and was. Oh shoot! Well, it looks like this will. Let me play a clip in a second. But the, the argument was that they pushed that idea, and and even looking back at it now, what's the logic there? If this is if this is, you could argue that they have a higher risk because of certain kinds of, in, of of sexual activity. But the bottom line is, everybody, as we're clearly seeing today, is capable of catching you know, again with their narrative catching 
whatever they're dealing calling HIV, right? I mean, that's or whatever they're deeming HIV. That the argument is now that it's pretty ubiquitous that anybody can catch it with sexual activity and so on. So what's the point there? That they still use the same faulty logic today to not I mean it just none of this adds up, guys. I'm telling you, there's something very fishy about the logic around this men, men the it doesn't make sense to me. I've said many times, but you guys think for yourselves. Oh, that was the, that was the end of this one. So I have another clip here that I want to play. Um, both, by the way, both, uh, or actually both the other ones. Yeah, both all of them coming from Wittgenstein, by the way. So here's another clip he, uh, discussing. This was uh, which one was this? Let me see. Tried to create an illusion of control, but sense that some of the most the worst misinformation has come out from. Right, right, that's right. I forgot I included this. It, there's the only connection here is the same person sharing it, but I wanted to shift over to the misinformation around this topic conversation, which is very, very important. And here, and this is on the same little the clip. It's another part of it where they're talking about the CDC being the most egregious spreader of misinformation. I mean, and this is the easiest thing in the world to prove. People are just afraid to say this. Most the worst misinformation has come out from the CDC, for instance, that there's no immunity after uh, after COVID recovery. A whole bunch of other really poor pieces of information, like about the effectiveness of masks and so on. Uh, I mean, I think the problem here is that these government entities tried to create an illusion of a consensus about all of these supposedly scientific points that didn't actually exist. There never was a consensus, Laura, about lockdowns. There was a tremendous. Uh, dis, uh, dis, dispute in the scientific community about it, but they wanted to create the, the, the illusion that there was, fool the American people into thinking uh, that there was so they could get their way. Well, back in February, the New York Times reported that the CDC hadn't been publishing large portions of their own COVID data, citing fear that the true vaccine data would be, would be quote, misinterpreted or, or correctly interpreted as the vaccines uh, being ineffective. Now, Mr. Attorney General, when you see stuff like that, it really, it, it just seems like this was never about the accuracy of medical information coming out. This has always been about control of the human person, period. Yes, that's exactly right. You've hit it right on the nose that this is about control. And that's what the First Amendment was designed to keep the government from being able to control its citizenry through misinformation, which is what the government's doing. Instead of allowing information to flow readily across the country, instead of allowing Americans to look at that information and determine for themselves how to interpret it, the government is doing it for you. That's a violation of the First Amendment, as you know. But what they did was they went out and then used private actors like big tech to do their dirty work. And that's what the suit says. And as you know, when those uh, this is the same lawsuit we were discussing, the CDC, that, that, that uh, the doctor who shared it got censored for sharing that, that cites last American Vagabond's second censored account as one of the focal points of censorship. Force talking about something that at the time they knew was true. And that's the potential shedding of spike protein that Dr. Warren himself said was possible. Doesn't matter, though. Uh, when those entities, when those corporations engage with the government in conduct that would otherwise be a violation of the First Amendment, then now there's a linkage mm -hmm. and we have a case. The biggest spreader of misinformation is most definitely not the people that they're censoring. I believe, oh, I don't think I pulled it up. Let's see. 
No, I didn't. That's too bad. Let me grab that real quick. Oh, actually, I won't because I think I'll lose. Any case, I have only so much space for my links. Too many things today. But you guys, we as you know, actually, I'll grab real quick because I want you guys to see this. I can just remember to. Okay, good. I got space. We just talked about this, and this I think actually Derek might be doing an article on this. As always, I, I let him and all the rest of our writers decide what they want to discuss. Not that I, you know, not like most editors that tell them what to cover. But this is a conversation that's important to see. And the Washington Free Beacon, I believe, was the group that did this first. They, they broke this story. But here's the link I'll include for those of you who want to see it. The CDC's targeted censorship of T-Lab exposed in court discovery. Don't forget, by the way, the Google whistleblower who came out a while ago, it was listed on that document that we were one of the groups that were blacklisted from Google. <laughs> Shouldn't surprise you at all. Now, how is that if all we're doing is discussing objectively, specifically these days, peer-reviewed science in regard to COVID-19? At the very least, that we're not hyperbolically claiming things that we can't prove. We're being objective about it. It's because we're nonpartisan and we're objective. That's why. That's how. That's why things that are say, people out there saying the same things but doing it from more of a hyperbolic partisan perspective. Oh, that's ridiculous. There's a time limit on on Instagram lives, guys. Guys, I am increasingly losing my steam for wanting to be on Instagram. <laughs> That's ridiculous, but I guess I'll lose you guys in a minute and 45. But this is an important conversation. The links are all in here that show you specifically that we were listed. Now, here is an interesting document. Fake news poses corrosive existential threat to democracy, study finds. Regardless of whether people believe it or not, what does that mean? This is on the 27th of July. So their argument is that it undermines democratic institutions, even if you don't believe it. Well, that doesn't make sense. Let's read through and it'll make less sense. Online fake news is an existential threat to democracy, they say, not because most people believe bogus content, but because of the corrosive effect it has on trust among citizens and their faith in democratic institutions. Your faith, because you should be blindly have faith in them, right? That's crazy. Representing them, according to a new study. But what's interesting to me, not because, well, first of all, online fake news is a threat, they argue. So what they're literally, first of all, saying is that your statements aren't, you're not allowed to say things that they deem incorrect. So you don't have free speech. Let's make that clear. You can't say, even if you're not, you're not putting anybody in danger. Their argument is the fake news is therefore doing something that puts people in danger because they misinform themselves and they make bad choices. And there's like 14 steps in there that have nothing to do with you. They are people making own choices for their own life. The bottom line is you have a right to say things online or offline. If you think you're right or if you think you don't, or even if you blatantly want to lie, it's called free speech. But the bottom line is there's a thousand things things they've called fake news, like myocarditis, that are very clearly real. Now, lost you guys. In any case, going forward, it says, oh, and well, actually, the other point was not because most people believe in the bogus content, but because of the corrosive effect it has on trust among our citizens. So they're saying that spreading fake information that people don't believe, it, it, demol- it, it removes their trust in other people's opinions, I guess. That, I mean, that's what they're essentially saying. And then lastly, the faith in democratic. Why do you have faith in anything other than your God? Right? Why do you have faith in anything other than, I mean, Faith in democratic institutions. I mean, this is the same idea of having faith in the government, having faith in science. Like, that's not what you should be doing. That's the opposite of what you should be doing. But this is what they want. They want to act like you're wrong for not blindly trusting them. 
It says since the UK's Brexit referendum and the election of Donald Trump, the two very obvious, they, those are the two things that there's most misinformation about. Very, very telling. Fake news has become a significant source of concern with most commentators worrying about the uptake of false information. So they're, I guess the, the corporate media pundits are the ones most concerned? Commentators? So the average population, who cares what they think? It's about what the other news people say to themselves, right? We're, they're con most concerned, worrying about the uptake of false information by the consumers of fake news. Okay, so now they're worried about, so those of you out there that, uh, that read things like The Last American Vagabond, they're concerned about your uptake of that information. And so if it's a fringe thing and it's not everybody buying it, why do they care what you read? You see, there's more to this, obviously, because they're trying to control the flow of information. They're controlling what you can read, even if they know you don't, you're too stupid to know the truth. When in reality, it's obviously the truth in the case of the points we're making, like myocarditis or anything else we've argued. But surveys among voters who also show widespread concern about fake news on social media platforms, Facebook, and so on. But the real danger to democracy lies in people's views. The fact that they even say that, that fake news is influential, regardless of whether that belief is true. So the fact that other people who might vote, let's say, believe that the fake news is influencing other people. So, but, th but the point is they don't buy it. So they're making the argument that it's not everybody. It's not even the majority because nobody's buying this bullshit. Excuse me, BS. <laughs> that was an accident. But the point being that because they think other people are, that that is ruining things. Just, I'm making that clear for a point. You'll see next. It doesn't, this whole article is completely contradictory. It says this means that the bogus stories do not even have to be believed by those who read them. You know, the, the smart people they're arguing, people that read them and go, ah, it's so fake. Myocarditis is not even happening. Vaccines are totally safe and effective. But to have a negative effect on democratic institutions because they believe other people are buying it. You follow? Instead, the fear that others will believe fake news is already sufficient to cause problematic damage to the process. Okay, so they see, they think you're buying it so that's going to hurt democracy. I mean, that in and of itself doesn't make sense, but wait till they try to explain why that makes sense. Publishing his findings next week in the Journal of Ethics and Social Philo Philosophy, University of Birmingham researcher asserts that online fake news is symptomatic of a larger problem yet to be fully understood. So they don't know what they're talking about is what he basically just said. We're not, we don't understand it all yet, but we think so. Namely, the enormous impact of the internet on democratic processes. You see where that, that's the, the nod to the idea we need to control the internet. We can't allow these people just to think and say what they want. That's crazy. That's what that's getting at. But it says, the, the doctor commented, quote, major democratic institutions like the UK's House of Commons and European Commission have correctly identified fake news as a threat to their values and processes. And whatever they deem fake news is whatever it is. But the real danger lurks in the corrosive effect that these online lies have on citizens' trust in their democracy. Again, remember the person that doesn't believe it, but thinks you do. Quote, reputable polling evidence shows that fake news leads to a loss of trust in citizens in each other. A major cause of destabilizing democratic processes and undermining the benefits that morally justify democratic institutions. Morally, morally justify the same democratic institutions that are starving an entire country in Yemen. The same democratic institutions that are literally allowing people to be murdered in Palestine. Yeah, totally the moral justification. But do you realize that they're the ones doing that? Like, that's the most ridiculous point about it. Trust in each other. That's the divide and conquer concept. That's the two-party illusion. That's them wedging issues between us to make sure that we don't come work together. 
They're just dumping that on you. But that's not even the main point. Democracies are based on collective public decision-making, giving people an equal say in the process. Which That's like you know the fairy tale land of their adult Santa Claus democracy they're talking about. Every citizen's life is influenced by what others think is morally correct. Yeah, that's exactly why democracy or mob rule is not really what we actually should be driving for. But regardless, it says, or factually true. So every citizen's life is influenced by what other people believe is right. That is generally what happens in the mob rule situation we live in, even if that's not really actually what's happening. Because the quality of laws depends on the quality of judgment in those electing lawmakers. So right, so you get they're, they're getting to the point. The idea that you, believing that that person over there buys this, influences the way you vote. That makes sense so far. Mutual distrust has grave consequences for democracy. As citizens may come to view laws, processes, or even the democratic system itself as no longer worthy of respect, as they are seen to be based on the false beliefs and bad choices of a manipulated majority of voters. Okay, wait a minute. This whole time they've been saying that not not even everybody, the fact is nobody buys it. But that doesn't even matter because they don't have to buy it. If they believe that this person over there believes it, they'll vote differently. Okay, but they didn't fall for it, right? So why then would a majority of voters vote in people that believe those things? You see, that doesn't add up. You get, you see me? You see my point? That would suggest that the majority of people do believe what's being spread. And the point is that it's, we're not talking fake news here. That's what they're calling it. But the majority of people do believe what's being spread. They then vote based on those beliefs and vote in people that believe what they're talking about. That's what's happening. So how then does that conflate or you know, how does that work together with the idea that nobody buys it and it's just because you believe your stupid neighbor does. If a majority of voters are voting people in to believe those things, then a majority of people believe them. This is pretty damn clear. So what they're trying to do is chip away at the idea that the majority is wrong. You're all dumb. Nobody buys this stuff. You're all crazy, but everybody does, and they're all voting people in that are wrong. They're voting people in that have the beliefs that they do. That's how this is supposed to work if you believe the voting is working. <laughs> There's two conversations to have there. But you get my point? This is completely ridiculous. So they're, what they're upset about is the fact that people don't listen to them, that the people, majority of people out there voting in people that think differently, which means that the majority, a.k.a. in a democracy, disagrees with them. And all they're trying to say is it's because fake news, but nobody buys it, which doesn't make sense. For example, it says, if many people are misinformed about the risks and benefits of vaccines, oh, you saw that coming, they may elect politicians who restrict access to or advocate against vaccinations. How are they electing somebody if the majority doesn't buy it? Oops. The point is they're letting the cat out of the bag, and the reality is that everybody sees this, and the majority of people are very clearly pushing back. Now, sadly, that's translating to people voting in Republicans, which it's all the same thing in my mind, and we'll eventually see that, hopefully, as this continues forward, regardless of who gets voted in, with just spinning out a different narrative. Oh, now it's Trump's vaccine, so now it's a good thing. That's my sad, hopefully I'm wrong prediction. Just like Guantanamo became a speaking of freedom the moment that he came. It's just stupid, guys. We've got to stop falling for partisan flip-flops. The point is simple, that they're all part of the government, and the government is what allowed you to get here. And they're all part of the Great Reset. But it's somehow people can't see that loss in the partisan divide. But it says, my options then became limited, and my health remains under threat from circulating viruses. Talking about people voting in, people that don't allow vaccinations or whatever even though I correctly believe that the benefits of vaccines far outweigh the risks. I love that. Even though I'm right and you're wrong and everybody else doesn't understand because they're all fake news, but nobody buys it. And they're all, they're all tricking each other. <laughs> this is a study. This is science. 
My God. The study notes that before Internet use became widespread, back to the Internet, that's what they didn't need to censor, citizens had a relatively limited range of information. Can you believe that their argument is, let's go back to the days when you guys didn't know what was going on? Think about that. Back in the day when people didn't really have all the information, all they could do was listen to what they were told. Those were the good old days. <laughs> I'm not even making this up, guys. The study notes that before the Internet came, happened, citizens had a limited range of information sources. Newspapers, TV stations, that's it. Creating greater information overlap. More shared experiences, and in turn, less reason to worry about the belief of others. Yeah, because you have nothing to look at. Because you have nothing but blind trust in the government, because that's all the information you have. And that's what they're saying. Think we need to get back to that where nobody has anything other than what we're told. My God. This is why they're failing, guys, because this is what they think makes sense. They patronize you with their high-minded BS based on their stance being right because I said so. Wow. Well, here's a reminder from, again, Wittgenstein. This is the, one of the, the third clip I was going to play from him, really short, which basically says the same thing from their perspective. It's a recognize that this is a challenge and they've stepped up to do some things to reduce the spread of misinformation and i credit them for that but it's not nearly enough because there's still a tremendous amount of misinformation circulating and i credit them for that do some things to reduce the spread of misinformation and i credit them for that bottom line bottom line is he's saying that you know they, they've censored stuff and that's good and that they need to do more Right, so as we're watching this and as we're watching other experts stand up, even on corporate media, and say that they've been lying to you, we know they have, guys. They've been caught left and right, just like with Ukraine, just blatantly lying to you. With the data that then drips out of the FDA and CDC, or rather, advisor that says, oh, yeah, we knew it didn't stop transmission, but let's trust them anyway, right? Well, well we knew that it didn't, wasn't really as effective as we said, but let's trust them anyway, though, right? I mean, who... The, the point is the people that still trust them don't even yet know those things. They still think we're in the fantasy conspiracy land and none of that's been proven. Sort of like the congressional video we just played for you where Massey comes up and says, why are we still acting like these stop transmission? And people actually didn't know that or that they're still giving the emergency authorized versions while they're selling you a, an approved one. These are all facts, easy to prove, but people act like it's fake news because they're scared to look outside their own little bubble. Dr. McCullough points out, CEC policing censorship to shape a public message, or rather policing, I guess, I, I read that wrong the first time. They're policing censorship, not policing of censorship, to shape a public message that is government developed and designed to manipulate fear and perception. That's the truth. Instead, CDC should be analyzing safety data and giving doctors risk stratification data on who is at risk for injury, disability, and death after taking it. Exactly. An advisory role. They're all edging towards the idea that they can tell you what to do. And it's never been the reality, guys. As I point out, and The Last American Vagabond was one of the accounts targeted by the CDC, which is why I included that and forgot about, which is why I didn't need to open this one. But in any case, it's already there. It's very easy to see that we're being targeted like a lot of other people are. Now, here's the one that I wanted you to see before we jump into the rest of the conversation around COVID-19. Is This is Dr. Mike Yeadon former VP at Pfizer, who has now concluded, based on his conversations with Dr. Cowan, Tom Cowan, that there are no respiratory viruses. Think about that. Now, you'll see, I'm going to make a point about this, where even he argues that there's, you know, I still feel like this is more, there's more to be fleshed out here, because he's not saying there are no viruses at all. So I, my opinion is kind of collected as there's more, something in between the two. 
whether you call it something else, you call it, you'll listen to his argument itself. But the point is that even he argues, well, there's something here. There's something going on. And even as my, as I'll point out, my interviews with Doc with Doctor Kaufman, there's plenty of points where he even he it says, well, you know, there's there's certain questions that we can't answer, which op- leaves the door open to me. But I do believe there's a lot here that needs to be discussed to the point to where there possibly is, this is not even really there, as Doctor uh, Denny Rancourt has pointed out, and plenty of others. But listen to this. This is an, an important clip and should carry a lot of weight for people. The, um, the powers that be, I'll call them the perpetrators, the people running this global crime. It is a global crime to take over all of humanity. Yeah. Uh, what they've done is they um, pretended that there was a serious new respiratory viral health threat. Okay, that's what they did, this, this virus in Wuhan. Uh, in my opinion, there never was an exaggerated, there was never any new health threat whatsoever. Partly the beauty of this, it can't go wrong because there's no moving parts. So first of all, very clearly that he does not believe there is a SARS-CoV-2. Next part gets into in general, but that's a first big statement. There is no such thing of SARS-CoV-2 happening. It's conflating flu, pneumonia, and everything else. Now, again, you can look at Danny. I, I can't stress that study enough. Danny Rancourt's study is outstanding, showing you the statistics of it, like the numbers where it's very clear. Should they have wanted to, it's very easy to make that illusion happen. That's not to say that you could prove that it did in the, in my, in the context of this conversation. My opinion is 100% that's true. But then there still doesn't mean that there wasn't something else being used alongside of it. But they very clearly made this illusion happen using PCR tests, false positives, the combining other problems, you know, on and on and on. I've made that I've been bleeding on about this since the beginning of this whole thing. That's the first statement. It's literally, it's literally the only moving part is the PCR test. So they, the initial thing, an exaggerated health threat. Now, some people believe there's a new virus. But if so, it's not any more serious than influenza, not really, because flu vanished at the same time by sheer coincidence. Right. Personally, I, don't, I actually have come to the conclusion, and I will credit uh, you know, Andrew Cowan and his colleagues. Yeah. I had a really good chat with those guys early in 2020, and it bothered me, bothered me, bothered me. Uh, I realized over time I could no longer maintain my understanding of respiratory viruses as I thought I knew them. And then I learned a new bit of information recently, and it was just, it collapsed the possibility that respiratory viruses, as described, exist at all. They don't. Um, people do get ill. Uh, people are ill. Uh, people, people have exactly the same illnesses, Peter and your listeners, exactly the same illnesses as before that horrible heathen said viruses don't exist. They still have, quotes colds and, quotes flu. Um, you know, they, they, it's just, I, I think we don't know what causes them, and they're not respiratory viruses. That's very, very interesting. That is a huge statement. I mean, ima- I mean, look, even if you think he's wrong, even if he is wrong, think about the courage it takes to stand up in his position and just literally challenge the entire foundation of even his past work. I mean, that I, I can't give him enough credit for that. I mean, just again, even if he's wrong, I mean, my God, especially in this climate, that is a very courageous thing to do. That means it, it seems to me that he's allowing what he what he thinks is true based on his current understanding to be what he says. No filter. Good for him. Bottom line, though, is that this is an important conversation that needs to be had. 
So that's that was one of the things I talked with Kaufman about is, well, OK, so we do have these things. It's clearly people can have, can, you know, in, in the same area, can have the same thing with the same symptoms and it can happen simultaneously. You know, there's there's reason and we don't really understand that. How does that happen if it's not the same kind of thing that can spread and so on? Because it's not bacteria. Right. So what would it be? So the idea is ultimately <clears throat> that he believes that there's something. So there's just more to be fleshed out here. I, I'm, I'm right now I'm thinking I'm going to reach out to him and try to get him back on the show, I think, for the second time. Or maybe the third time, because I think Taylor interviewed him as well, to talk about this. I'm very interested. But bottom line is, guys, that's this should open up this conversation more than it's already been. Now, just to just to include this for you guys to check out, here's my three different interviews with Kaufman. First one was on May 4th, 2020. This one was March 5th, 2021. And this one was September 3rd, 2021. All three I'll include for you to watch as you know we evolve our conversation and we get through. And there's a lot of great stuff to be discussed there. As always, my point from the very beginning was that there's an objective point to take here, especially from someone in my position. It's not, it's not like I said from the beginning, there's a lot of people that got frustrated that I would have Kaufman on, let's say, and, not, and then I didn't just completely change my entire stance. Now, even if I did internally change what I believed, the point is you have to remain objective in this position. I can't just stop talking about anything related to the other side of the conversation because that just, it, it doesn't make sense. Just like when I first talked about this, and let's just you know, say like germ theory was where my mind was at, I still discussed this and I still thought about it, terrain theory, because I, that's what I do. So now let's just say I switched. I'm thinking terrain theory makes sense. I'm still going to entertain and discuss germ theory, just like I did before in the reverse. It's the, we have to see that. So those people out there that are so aggressively shouting down anybody that even talks about things as if they're there, that's not productive. I hear why you're doing it. Trust me. Put those points out there every time. But to come out and just ignore everything being discussed because therefore there's not, that does not make sense in the context of our conversation because right now they're making points as if that is the case. So we have to be able to discuss it from within their narrative or it doesn't make sense. Right? Come on, guys. We have to see that. Now, I'm sure I'll still get attacked for it, but this is an important conversation that is inching in the direction of we don't fundamentally understand how this works. Or rather, that's where it is, inching toward the idea that they're not even there. Now, bringing this over to the idea of the COVID-19 illusion, <clears throat> Universe, or U of T, it was University of Toronto. They have a COVID-19 vax policy right as of yesterday that is still forcing people to take injections, if you can even believe that's still happening. How they, how they even are legally allowed to do that. Think about that. I mean, we're at a point right now where there's so much up in the air. What does it even mean to be back? And that's the point it gets into. As it says, a Toronto, a Toronto University's decision to require those living in student residences, which doesn't make sense, by the way. Only those living there have to do it. People that come outside, they recommend it, but they don't force them. See what I mean? There, nothing about this has ever made sense from the very beginning, right? Wear your mask at the table, then you can take it off. Well, you're safe if you don't. Like, it, it's all just about compliance. But it says living in student residences to have at least three doses. So as four is up to date, why is only three required? That's what's happening. Four is up to date in Canada, but three is required. That, that, this, there's zero scientific logic to this at all. It's just pushing people in the direction of where they want them to go. It says uh, and it could uh, at least three doses of the injection and could boost the third dose uptake among young adults. So they're forcing this is what they're saying. Well, it could boost other people to do it. Is that the right thing? Do they need it? Is it safe? Doesn't matter. As long as they get it done, we can get a, a virtue signaling high five from the rest of our community, right? But it would drive a significant increase unless other schools, or it won't, unless other schools follow suit. 
experts say. Yeah, experts say, oh, that's a stupid thing. What experts? Did you have an entire panel? If they do it, others might do it too. You don't need experts to high-five about that. That's a stupid thing. They're just trying to convince you. Experts want you to do it. That's not what that says. Isn't that funny? They want you, they're trying to, this is why we saw that Canada specifically and UK specifically got caught for having entire meetings about how to manipulate you into doing this, even if they think it's the right thing. How dishonest is that? We'll scare you, we'll lie to you, we'll bribe you, because it's all safe and effective. (laughs) How crazy this all is. The University of Toronto announced last week that it was reinstating a vaccination requirement for those living in these residences and updating their mandate to at least one shot. And one booster shot. Just one, though. You're not up to date, though, which means you can't do everything, but we're going to make you take that one in hopes that you just fall into the fourth one. And then the fifth and sixth and seventh and, you know, whenever the next moving goalpost comes along. But he said there would be likely a greater impact on uptake if other universities implemented a similar similar policy. Yeah, obviously. I mean, that's, that, that's if other people force them, then more people would take it. Yeah, that's a pretty, what a stupid thing to say. If I... I'm trying to think of something as ridiculous, right? If if I walk out in the rain, I'm going to get wet. Experts say. (laughs) That's that's about as stupid as that. If other people force them, then we'll have increases in the shots. Experts said. Is that how dumb average people are at this point? The people that listen to the corporate media? Third dose uptake in the 18 to 29 group is currently 36%. Let me say that again. It, it, it's like that in most every category, but it's lowest in the 1829s. 36% of the country have gone along with the third dose. You know how long the third dose has been pressured? People are no longer buying it, guys. You're the majority. Roughly 86% in that young adult cohort have had two. So the point is most people went along and got manipulated. There was still about a 15, or rather, what, what is that? If Yeah, about a 15% percentage, 14% of people that didn't, go along with even two doses then now you're at a point where only 36 percent have gone with that third dose even though they've been stress stressing that they they need it to be safe and they still didn't do it even those that took two shots you have to see how important that is that means they see what's happening they had the side effects they're watching their friends die and have heart attacks and blood clots and strokes and they're going okay wait a minute there's something going on here and they put their feet they dug their feet in that's important to see it is good news it's important now on that note as Philip points out, well, uh, well, first I'll read this, then I'll read you his quote that will make it make sense. Disclose TV's reporting, Israel now considers only 7.73% of its entire population, the most vaccinated population on earth, only 7.73% of them are now considered vaccinated against COVID as up-to-date boosting further declines. So now the people that were part of the high-fiving vaccinated team saving everyone's lives are now anti-vaxxer problems because they don't want the third or the fourth or the fifth. Who told you this was coming? Everybody in independent media. Because it's not hard to see, guys. We had things like the St. Louis discussion, the censored report that everyone shouted down as ridiculous that we now very clearly see was always the case, that every three months they were going to be pushing this in. How do we not see that they knew that that long ago? When they accidentally posted that and then deleted it very quickly, there was a do- there was guidance to this before we ever got here. As he says, yesterday's heroes become today's non-compliant and unhinged anti-vaxxers, according to the mainstream. Very interesting. Now, here's why. Because they see it. 
Scotland continues to point out, Scotland Unity, you should follow this outlet. Scotland summer mortality following yesterday's data. This is a snapshot of summer in Scotland. Okay, 2020 was absolutely normal. No injections, guys. How can it be normal with COVID-19 tearing through everyone's lives? Ask that question. Then uh, 2001 was by far their worst summer mortality ever. 2022, over 50% worse. For those in the podcast, it is only over by 35 excess deaths in 2020. That's it in Scotland. In 2021, over by 731. By tw- and now in 2022, that we're not even done with, over by 1,141. There is no way you could argue that that means this is working. This is everywhere. That's why people are stopping taking this, guys. Let me be clear about this. You won. Now, it doesn't mean it's over. It doesn't mean that they stop the Great Reset or they're not going to keep forcing you. But you won. They're losing. Nobody's buying this anymore. The percentages are showing you this, and the data everywhere is showing you the same thing. They're just going to argue well, Omicrons and variants, and people aren't doing it, and, we're, and we have to shift, and we have to wait for the new injection, because it'll say this is obvious. And if even those on their side are beginning to pull back, they see it too. So just recognize that. Take the win in the moment, as much as we're not out of the woods. And reality is, guys, we never will be with the kind of crazy, tyrannical structure we have today. It's just it's what this government is. We're in a just very alarming situation that we're only just starting to realize that we live under this tr- incredibly sociopathic, tyrannical, authoritarian government. And that's not just there's plenty of them around the world. The reality is, though, that people see it because this is very visceral. It's real. It's right in front of you. Remember the beginning of all the COVID-19 mania? And we said, look out your window. There's nobody. You know, everything seems fine. If you didn't listen to the corporate media, you wouldn't even know what's happening. Well, that changed, didn't it? You can't look out your window right now, like maybe your window, but you can't look anywhere right now without seeing this, without seeing people with their teeth falling out, rashes all over their face, with their terrible breath, with their bacterial pneumonia, their terrible cough because they're wearing masks all day long, and the people having heart attacks and blood clots and strokes. Every single person I know that got even one injection is having breathing problems, going to the, going to the hospital with, with heart, chest pains. I'm not making that up. Every single one of them. I mean, arguably, I don't know that many of them. My point, though, is that I know them. They're my family. A member of my family who is on their fourth shot has gone every week for chest pains, heart problems, but totally disconnected, right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't, it's just a coincidence. Very real. It's very obvious. Now, here's just one of the many of the reports I did. This one goes all the way back to February 2nd, but I was doing this back in 2021, as you remember. Just to include it, though, so you can, you know, don't have to go off this graph. You can check it for yourself. This is, this is February 2nd. Fully vaxxed in Scotland. They had two times the COVID risk. It's way more than that now with the boosters. 25% increase in hospitalization and 40% more likely to die than people without injections. That's why in UK, Scotland, everywhere else, they tried to pull the data back. They don't want you seeing it because it's undeniably clear. Now, as I hashtag collapsing athletes, here's Dr. James Olson pointing out what you can verify for yourself. And this is just one small part of this, guys. Just in the past two weeks, Derek Gray, 20-year-old, college basketball player, dead of a heart attack. Philip Laster, junior, 17 years old, dead during high school football practice, Mississippi. Cesar Vasquez, 18 years old, high school football player, found dead in his room by his mom. The fact that we even just these three can pretend like this is just a normal coincidence 
is sickening to me. It is so undeniably clear what's actually happening. Now, again, remove the injection from the conversation if that makes you feel better. I want someone to explain to me how this many children, adults, sports players, doctors, however you want to frame this, are dying with unexplainable deaths of heart problems at this young if we think nothing's happening. I'm telling you again, statistically speaking, this is dramatically more just just athletes and just cardiac arrest than we've ever seen in history. And that's easy to prove, and I've done it 15 times on this show. Hopefully somebody bigger picks it up so it can actually get out there somewhere because it's real and it's happening. Oh, we shout out Jay Wilderness and his outstanding videos about this because he and I kind of attacked this at the same point and, and he and he got some great spread on those. He has his videos, are, and, and by the way, his videos are great in a lot of other ways. Here's the doctor conversation. Dr. William Mackis is now tracking 13 Canadian doctors that have recently died suddenly. Now, Canadian... Right, so I'll give you that. There, but I, I still argue that we, it's it's a weird focal point because it's going to get dismissed as you know, like why is it only doctor? There, there's children and fathers and mothers and everybody else around them having the same problem. So I don't get why just the doctor focus makes this more valid. I'm not dismissing it. I still think it's in, the, the five, six, five or I think it's five people that died in the same hospital. That's pretty crazy. In any case, still people dying suddenly with no explanation. Vast majority of doctors will get their fourth and fifth this summer and fall. Sadly, I expect many more deaths to come. So, you know, I, I, I feel I, I don't know why I have a weird feeling about the doctor focus. Like, I feel like this is becoming a partisan kind of focal point. Let's just focus on everybody that are suddenly dying with no explanation, especially the young. Right. Or the athletes, because they're easy to make a point about how they're very fit runners. You know, young people, they're not the typical people that have these problems. But this is still valid because it is people die suddenly. Nobody explains why. Well, here's one that did. Here's somebody that did explain why. Here's somebody who was an expert. Even somebody that was involved with all of this right up until he said what he wasn't supposed to say. Then they censored him for it. Twitter censors a Pfizer-injured, an injection vaccine-injured Israeli COVID vaccine director. Do you hear that? An Israeli COVID vaccine director who's had three shots spoke up because the third shot injured him dramatically. He spoke up and he made the argument that not only is it dangerous, but there's a, a correlation with the monkeypox outbreak and they censored him for it. Do you realize how crazy that is? I mean, look, look I would be, how about, I mean, I don't know if this is even possible because of the, the focal point of Fauci. Like he, like he's like, I'm trying to think of like the focal, like as if it was like Netanyahu that said it or, or uh, get, uh, now I'm all of a sudden blanking on the current, Jeez, uh, it doesn't matter, the current MP, but or uh, uh, prime minister, I meant PM. But the point is, if this was Fauci, let's say, that suddenly had a, a change of heart, which has never happened, and said, this is dangerous hurting people. If they censored him when he did that, that's as crazy as this would be. This person doesn't have the central spotlight. <clears throat> My point is simply that it's amazing that this person who is in this field, who is the expert in the topic, who has been pushing them up until now, who suddenly says something different and you're just censored. He's an expert. The point is very clear. It's not about whether you can prove what you're saying. It's about censoring around a narrative. And Twitter has made that abundantly clear. So did the CDC when they said censor this guy <clears throat> for saying something that we prove that he's proving is true. Saying something that Twitter was forced to uncensor. That Dr. Warren who said, yes, you can sp shed spike protein, got censored for it. Then they uncensored him. And then I talked about that happening and I got censored. and They attacked my account because the CDC told them to, even though they knew it was true. 
Professor Shamril Shapira, MD, who served as director of the Israel Institute of Biological Research between 2013 and 2021, suggested that the monkeypox outbreak was connected to the mRNA injections. This is from the uh, Kanoa, the great substack. We've played one of his videos. We have one that we play uh, off often. He has published more than 110 peer-reviewed scientific articles. Here's all of his back, other background, by the way. It's huge. All this, you know, previously the deputy director general of this medical organization. Like, this guy is not somebody that should be censored for giving medical opinions. 110 peer-reviewed scientific articles. And he is the editor of Essentials of Terror Medicine, Best Practice for Medical Management of Terror Incidents and Medical Response to Terror Threats. Last week, Twitter censored him. Who He was physically injured after his third Pfizer injection and forced him to remove a post. They made, like they did with everybody. Oh, you remove that before you can't come back. You're not allowed to say that. Guess what he said? Monkeypox cases were rare for years. During the last years, of a single case was documented in Israel. It is well established that the mRNA vaccines affect the natural immune system. Did you hear that? That's what we all know. VADES. A monkeypox outbreak following massive COVID vaccination is not a coincidence. And they censored him. How anybody still falls for this with how obvious this is. How this is even happening blows my mind. You know what this whole thing shows you for sure? That we do live in the kind of reality that the conspiracy theorists have been yelling about forever. And I use that term in the way that, you know, that they're framing it as. It's not what they are. That there is a vast controlled situation here where we live in a controlled reality. Where the fact is that there's a controlled and structure of the media, of the government, of everything. If he can step up and say that the moment he deviates with credentials, with scientific background, as somebody who pushed it up until then, and they just immediately censor him, it shows you the reality. And as it, just to go to the end, here's a post that he shared. It simply says, oh, there's one more point. On July 18, 2022, he said, I am not anti-vaccine. I am, not, I am anti-stupidity, anti-fake science, and anti-incompetent management, right? Clearly, it upset him that they tried to censor him, right? Twitter warned him to remove the tweet connecting monkeypox to the COVID vaccine. Here's what he said on Facebook, it looks like. Myocarditis, fatal arrhythmias, 20% increase in strokes, herpes, zoster, tinnitus, all the things we've covered. Gynecological excess bleeding, exactly. Fertility, reproductivity, monkeypox, obscured long-term side effects. No worries, be happy. He sees it. He's trying to speak out and they won't let him. How does anybody not see what's going on? Another one was somebody who predicted they'd be censored and was right. And somebody you know, Jessica Rose. As she said, another exploding heart in a child. Now you show me what she got censored for. She didn't say it was connected to the injection, right? She's simply pointing out facts. Another exploding heart in a child. She was riddled with pre-existing conditions and should never have been experimented on like this. Where does she... See, they are reading what she's saying. I, I, I Look, I'm promising you guys, there's no way an algorithm would pick up the what she's insinuating here. Somebody read this and says, oh, she's talking about the vaccine. Where does it say that? I can, we know what she means. but how, So they are assuming that she means the injection and censoring her for it. Just like they assumed that Emily's accounts and all these other people's accounts were mine, even though they weren't, and censor them. Because that's what they do. They break their own rules. They don't care. Because it's about controlling a narrative. We need to see that by now. This child was riddled with pre-existing conditions and should never have been experimented on like this. Let's see if this gets me booted for a third time in 36 hours. And she was right. And all she did was post this image that simply shows how this is happening. 
Again, understand, the algorithm wouldn't be able to pick up the image. Somebody read this and censored her for it. 15-year-old Jane Doe died post-cardiac arrest three to four days following exposure to Moderna product. That's a fact. She got the Moderna injection. She died three to four days later. That's exactly what happened. Nobody here is saying this caused that. They're simply pointing out that's the case. And then saying in the text that she shouldn't have been experimented on like this, which I agree with. My point is that there's nowhere in this says vaccine. She was censored personally by Twitter and deleted for it. And again, this is what happened. And the point is, look at the age breakdown. Look at the, the risk. And by the way, that risk is not, it's lower than that. But my God, an exploding heart, myocarditis, which by the way, they've admitted can happen. And yet when you point out that it's possible, you get censored. Controlled narrative. But here's the Daily Mail saying, oh, social media might give you heart attacks and strokes. Experts warn loneliness and social isolation raises your risk by 30%. Well, you know what else raises your risk dramatically? The injections you're forcing on people that don't need them. But let's poke out at anything else, right? Breathing too hard, standing in the rain. All these things may cause heart attacks because we can prove a 0.0001 possible connection. So we're going to make 100 articles about how that increases your risk. Maybe it does. But the point is that it's minuscule. And the idea that you're pointing at everything under the sun as possibly causing heart attacks and strokes tells us everything we need to know. Well, there's UK scientists that are working on a new tool to edit your DNA. Oh, of course, and, and cure heart problems. Because it seems like everyone everywhere is working to get ahead of that problem that just popped up out of nowhere. We're baffled. Aren't you baffled about where it came from? I'm baffled. Here is an interesting discussion about what they're building to fight that using, you know, of course, DNA that you have to give them to edit your DNA because that's totally not happening. Gene editing is fake news or rather that it's there, but it's not what's happening. But everything else around it, even Merck's in uh, one of Merck's. Was he the CEO? Somebody who worked for Merck openly said that this, do we know this is gene therapy and we never thought people would dig it. They were surprised they're all taking it. I'm surprised people are open to it. You know why? Because they yelled at you. It wasn't gene therapy. Well, it is. It's genetic editing. That's what these injections are. The text says, UK scientists want to stop heart muscle disorders in their tracks by editing faulty genes in your DNA. Experiment on you. People with genetic uh, cardiomyopathies, that was fast, have 50-50 risk of passing faulty genes on to their children. In the patients who have these conditions, our heart muscle conditions, Everybody has one healthy copy of the gene, but despite that, they get sick. And sometimes that's because the faulty copy interferes with the function of the healthy one. So we have to specifically target the faulty copy and leave the healthy one alone. And that's a harder challenge than some of the other genetic medicines where it would be fine just to take out or manipulate both copies. Well, the bottom line is, I mean, you could even argue this is a good thing, right? They're trying to help people. And, you know, if they want to do this, they can help them avoid their heart problems. But the point is just how everything seems focused around the idea that everybody everywhere who doesn't, who thinks we're all crazy is just, is just, they don't even realize it's happening. But in the back of their mind, they're thinking that heart problems are so normal and constant everywhere. Didn't you know kids have heart attacks all the time? You crazy conspiracy theorists. Well, they believe that now because it's been pumped into them for a year ads on the side of buses. Kids can have heart attacks too. I'm, it's not, I'm not making that up. We showed you that. Why write that on the side of a bus? Why make a huge ad about something that's so rare? Because they want you to think that it's more prevalent than it is. It's very strange to me. But of course, this is, you know, one and two in the same. Gene editing and heart problems. Boom. But here, 
is somebody speaking up. This was, I uh, forget who it was again. It was a, hold on. No. I, I, I guess I got rid of the tweet that it's in, it's in France, French. It was the director of some group. It's in French, so I can't, I forget what it was. It's a high-level person. I had it on another tweet, and I guess I got rid of it. The point is, this is a high-level person who is speaking up and saying, vaccinate your infants, right? Nearly 500 children, zero to four years old, have died of COVID. That's not true. In the United States, no deaths following the vaccine. That's also not true for us and for a society as a whole. Now, the first point is, if you go, if you want to go through and tran- hit translate, each, every single one of these comments are ripping her apart. I mean, every one of them are saying benefit zero, risk zero. We, they're, they're saying you're ridiculous. These children are not in danger. And you're literally telling them to take something that they know causes myocarditis? What in the world? And that's on top of the fact that COVID-19 does not cause myocarditis according to the most current peer-reviewed science. Well, I'm not going to do it because I was going to bring up that that study, but I'll lose my links over here. But in any case, the bottom line is that this is, I mean, maybe I can just show it to you if I can get it to come up. There it is. Starting to get my links back in here again. But just so you guys can see it again, this is the most recent peer-reviewed science published April 15th, 2022. And it very clearly says post-COVID-19 infection was not associated with either myocarditis or pericarditis. Very clear, very clear, despite them continuing to say the opposite because they trust the science as they ignore the most current peer-reviewed science. It's not even the most current. There's no, there's not other study. There's all sorts of observational things that say that, but this is peer-reviewed, random controlled. That's how this works. They ignore the best. But 500 children, she says, have died. Almost. Of COVID and none following the vaccine. Well, we know that second part is not even worth getting. That's a blatant lie. There's been endless amounts of reports on VAERS. There's been endless verifiable points of children getting this and dying. Verifiable. They just don't, they, they kick it down and they say, well, they didn't, it was before 21 days, so it was something else. Well, that's, that's ridiculous. It's obvious. Getting an injection and dying the next day and there's no other problem, it's pretty obvious what happened. So that's just obscenely wrong. But let's get into the children dying part of it, of COVID-19. Because this is, it, it boggles, it blows me away. Here's Newsweek from, 20, from October 2021. COVID now a major cause of death. That's their headline. Even the argument that 500 kids died throughout this whole process, which is two years. How do you call that a major cause of death? That's what they're, and they're only putting it in quotes because if somebody said that, they listened to, they talked to. That's incredibly dishonest. Look at this, look at this cover. Would you give this kid a shot? This is the kind of propaganda they're pumping out. France's answer to Tucker Carlson. My God, this is gross that we are even here, that people actually buy this stuff. It's disgusting to me. Here's what it says. In a typical year, the disease that kills the most children in the U.S. is cancer, about 1,800 deaths, followed by heart disease, about 600 deaths. The CDC estimates estimates that over the last two years, COVID-19 has killed roughly 570 American kids. That's a lie. They're not estimating, first of all. The fact is, after at this point, when they know that's not true. At this point, I'll show you that. But they're still, well, we estimate, so they can avoid the whatever accountability may even be there. And then, of course, they, kids, period. And then, and somebody inserted this, and is a terrible editor, because they left that, whatever. But it says, and hospitalized about 22,000. Neither of those are true. I'll prove it to you. It's embarrassing they're still pushing this, even to this day. Because remember, that's the current thing. They're pushing this now. 500 children. Because these are stats that were pushed by the CDC a year ago. 
And these people don't know any better or don't care. They don't care about the most current research because the most current stuff is called fake news. That's conspiracy theory. Because anything that challenges their narrative is fake news. That's what they've gone with thus far. So she just keeps pointing at the old data. It's like when they said only 10,000 people died in Yemen. And then it turned out that they're way past 100,000. And the reason they kept saying 10,000 is because, well, we didn't have any updated data. So we just kept using the old number because that's, that's honest, right? Clearly, there's a war going on. So you pretended it was only 10,000 because you just hadn't, didn't have updates? Yeah, that's a self-serving lie. That's what they're doing here. That's how this works. They're liars, guys. That's what they do. But it says, even though this doesn't represent the same degree of death and hospitalization as you're seeing in adults, it still represents a major cause of death and hospitalization in children. No, it doesn't. Not even those numbers do. But the fact is, those numbers are fake. And they know that. Here's the first part. This is from... May 2021, studies suggest that child hospitalization numbers from COVID are inflated. The bottom line is it was, and this has been proven out more than once. As the point is, and I'll show you another article as well, that people go in with a broken leg and they get tested for COVID-19 with a false positive PCR test using 40 to 45 cycle threshold. And what do you know? Many of them get tested positive. Then they never get sick, they leave with a cast, and they get put down as a COVID hospitalization. It's, they've admitted to this in a thousand different ways. I've played you people standing up at the podium of the United States government and telling you that. Someone can die in a completely clear alternative cause, and they will still call it COVID-19, just for your safety, though. That's what the argument at the beginning, and they just maintained it. But COVID-19 hospitalizations among children have been inflated by at least 40%. Not hypothetically, not maybe, but fact. The hospital pediatrics have concluded at least half, almost half. The point is when you get into it, it's, it's more. The bottom line is they're saying at least 40% not true. And that's the, that's the bloated number they're even pointing at. So they know this, but yet they say it anyway. And by the way, there was at least two other articles that have come out since this article saying the same argument. Here's about the deaths. I've shown you this one before as well. The flimsy evidence behind the CDC's push to vaccinate. For the podcast, the first one about the hospitalizations, that's Newsweek. This one, Wall Street Journal. It's amazing how they don't trust their own outlets or the science while screaming both, right? But here's what it says. A tremendous number of government and private policies affecting kids are based on one number. Now, this was back then. This is 2021. The one number was 335. Now they're arguing 500. But yeah, but you can tell by even the false number goes up by less than 200 over the process of a year. Oh, pandemic for children, right? Even though the injections are wildly more dangerous than even the false number they're giving you. Yet, it says the CDC, which has 21,000 employees, hasn't researched each death to find out whether COVID caused it or not, or a pre-existing condition. So that's a choice. When they're screaming they've investigated everything, they're choosing not to investigate whether these children died from something else. They don't care. This is a Johns Hopkins doctor telling you this. Without these data, the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices decided in May, this is back then, that the benefits of two-dose vaccination outweigh the risk for all kids 12 to 15. They've done so now for infants under five. I've written hundreds, he says, of peer-reviewed medical studies, and I can think of no journal editor who would accept the claim that 335 or 500 deaths resulted from a virus without data to indicate if it was the virus or something else that caused it without an analysis of relevant risk factors such as obesity. The point is, they, and I'll show you in this next article where he writes more, that obesity is a huge factor that they, they kept from you, like 70%. 
meaning that it's not a huge pandemic that's affecting everybody. There's very clear, obvious factors involved, and that's probably because it's not even actually there, and we're dealing with other things like flu that are just causing people that are already ill or already with uh, risk factors. What's the word I was looking for there? The pre-existing medical conditions. But it says, our report found a mortality rate of zero among children without pre-existing medical conditions like leukemia. If that trend holds, it has significant implications for healthy kids. They don't care. They've ignored this ever since. How can they or anyone debate the issue without the right data? Well, ask the CDC, ask the FDA, ask the White House. They are doing it every day. Meanwhile, we've already seen inflated COVID death numbers in the U.S. revised downward. Last month, this is in 2021, Alameda County, California, reduced its COVID death toll by 25%, just out of nowhere. Why? Because their public health officials insisted that death be attributed to COVID only if the virus was a direct or contributing factor. So they said this is not right. It's not accurate. So they pulled it down. But before that, if we had said that, they would have called you fake news. See how that works? CDC Director Walensky claimed that vaccinating a million adolescent kids would prevent 200 hospitalizations in one death over four months. A million. But the agency's COVID adolescent hospitalization report, like its death count, doesn't distinguish on the website whether a child is hospitalized for COVID or with COVID. 45.7% were hospitalized for reasons that might not have primarily been related to COVID-19. That's a quote from their own report. Almost 50% of these kids went in for something else and were told that they had COVID, many of which never even got sick. Read the report for yourself. It says hospitals routinely test patients being admitted for other complaints, even if there's no reason to suspect they have COVID. That is a self-fulfilling prophecy with a false positive PCR test. As an asymptomatic child, meaning no symptoms, which means it might not even be there, who tests positive after being injured in a bicycle accident would be counted as a COVID hospitalization. The CDC may also be undercapturing data on vaccine complications, which we know is the fact. The CDC's risk-benefit analysis for vaccinating all children, get this, guys, used rates of complications extrapolated from the VAERS system. Seriously. Which contains raw, self-reported data that is unverified and likely underreports adverse events. And that's the fact. We've always known that. So the, the fact this screen today, unverified, is exactly what we've always known. That's how it's supposed to be. And as I keep pointing out, as the UK said in 2006, you don't need to prove it. It's just about whether or not there's a high enough safety signal. 50 reports in the past have been enough to shut it down. Not today, though. Unverified. Yeah, we know that. It always has been. The problem, though, is they're actually pretending that they get data, and I've made this point many times, from the Bayer's reports about why children are struggling from COVID-19, but yet act like they don't also have all the data, also unverified, about whether they're being hurt by the injection. They just pick and choose what they want from it and act like everything they don't point at is fake news. Everything means nothing. Nothing means everything. The CDC or the FDA should expeditiously assign doctors to research each of the thousands of vaccine complications reported to the payers. You know what? They're not. In fact, they've been caught for ignoring them. It's been proven via FOIA requests. Same thing. Every Information everywhere showing you this is an illusion. The corporate media ignores it. And eventually it may drip out by Tucker saying it when he's allowed to at some point. The bottom line is it's there now. Like a lot of the stuff we've been saying has been there now. Like, I don't know, the spike protein circulating your body. I've been showing you that study for, I mean, since it came out for a year, but apparently it's breaking news on the war room because they talk about it today. The data from Pfizer's information shows what we've known for a year. Baffling. 
Like it frustrates me that we have this, this partisan control over information that we pretend is breaking information because the right says it against the left. We need to stop falling for this. It's always, we don't need the Pfizer documentation to show you what's already been proven in real time. It helps, but it's not new. Going forward, the CDC may also be undercapturing. I just read that this uh, next part. Harvard epidemiologist Martin Kuldrow, who we've referenced before, told the, uh, the author here that he was kicked off of the advisory committee the moment that he expressed a dissenting view. That's, that's exactly what we just saw with the doctor from Israel. The moment that he said, I don't know, guys, this might seem a little dangerous. You're fired. You're fired. Get somebody in here who's going to say what we want. That's not how that's supposed to work, obviously. It took until March 2021 for the CDC to report 78% of COVID hospitalizations were among overweight or obese patients. Almost 80% that are people that were obese. Yeah, that might have mattered a little bit, don't you think? But no, let's mass vaccinate everybody everywhere because. Most striking, the CDC has never systematically collected and reported the number one leading indicator of the pandemic daily new hospitalizations for COVID sickness. Instead, the CDC offers the lagging indicator of hospitalization for anyone who tests positive. That is the illusion. They know that you'll get false positives because they've admitted that, even if they argue a lower number. So the point of them reporting anyone who tests positive and calling it a hospitalization is a guaranteed way to make it look bigger. Just same way they use a lower cycle threshold for breakthrough cases, the same way that they, they report actual sickness for breakthrough cases. It's a guaranteed illusion to make it look bigger on one side and less on the other. The CDC data on natural immunity rates is similarly disappointing. The CDC reports this measure in fragments on their website. As I've been telling you from the beginning, the way that they've dumped this stuff out on their website and broken information and dis, dis, it's not coordinated, it's a guarantee that it's impossible for you to break it all down because they know what it actually shows you. Natural immunity works. These things are dangerous. But it's outdated and some states are listed as having no data available. Because they don't care to find out. The low priority given to this indicator of whether or not people have natural immunity is consistent with how public health officials have played down and ignored natural immunity in their drive to get everyone injected. That's been there for for a year or more, guys. It's very clear. And yet you still have these people coming out and saying, 500 children have died. Inject your baby with this dangerous thing. Well, here's the Johns Hopkins doctor saying more. And this is that this is on... Uh, the six six twenty six fourteen twenty one CDC of sitting on they accuses the CDC of sitting on data to suit their narrative. Just a little follow up here. He says while discussing the effects of COVID nineteen on youth, he said, "quote The headlines that were not broadcast by the CDC and the media did not cover was that no child in that entire study died of COVID. The study they used to justify that kids need injections, not a single one." That's number one. Number two, the hospitalization rate was lower for COVID than it was for influenza. But yet we're quarantining and injecting for this. That's crazy. See, they knew this was not the case, and they're desperate to get it in kids' arms. That's nefarious. The CDC sits on a lot of data, he said. And by the way, why are we getting this data from February in June? Again, with the heart-swelling complications of over 300 kids. They had that data now for three weeks. And remember, this is in 2021. We remember when this happened. It turned out they hid the myocarditis data. They announced it last Wednesday. They're having their emergency meeting about it a week and a half later. So let kids keep having this problem until we figure it out. This is not about information or safety. It's about controlling the narrative. The CDC said 226 confirmed cases of heart swelling condition called myocarditis have been reported in people under 30 who got the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. At this point, they were still trying to bury this. 
It turns out that there's probably only been one child in the United States who has ever died of COVID who was healthy. That is that it didn't have a comorbid condition. Now, I doubt even that if that even that's the case, because this is so completely flimsy. But even then, the argument, even if it's true, should be enough to say that there's no reason even remotely that they should take this thing that has that high of a risk of causing myocarditis and everything else. It's so clear how dangerous this all is. Now, check this out. This is coming from uh, one of the the Australian in the Australian Senate and a politician in Australia who's spoken up before about this is speaking up and just walking you through how dangerous this is. Good for him. There are some... Now, whether he's doing this because it works for him politically or not, it, at this point, it doesn't even matter to me because this is true. What he's saying is true. But it doesn't mean I trust him that he's doing the right thing for the right reasons. I just... Most politicians, I don't believe that are doing that. My jaded perspective. But listen to what he's saying because, guys, this is exactly what's happening. Uh, thank you, Acting Deputy President. Uh, today, of course, is the 2nd of August, and it's been almost a, uh, well over a year that we've had the vaccine rollout continue. And every day I still hear from people who suffer from injuries from the vaccine or suffer through mandates or some form of discrimination. Uh, we've just recently passed about uh, through 10,000 cases of COVID in the last six months. Now, I don't know if that's not evidence to say that the vaccines aren't effective, then I don't know what is. However, I'm not here tonight to talk about the ineffectiveness of the vaccine, which didn't stop transmission. I'm here to talk about how unsafe the vaccines are. And I want to explain why, and I want to go through the biochemistry. Most vaccines, so for example, the COVID, uh, uh, COVID virus has 29 proteins in it. Normally, if you de-attenuated a vaccine, you gave someone a de-attenuated vaccine, you would take out the ionised molecule uh, of that virus. So you have got 20, 29 uh, molecules, you'll take out one. Uh, and what that does, and the one you'll take out is the ionised molecule. So an ion either has more electrons and protons or likewise more protons and electrons. Either way, it's a charge. And that's what they call the active ingredient in a vaccine. It's the thing, if you've got two magnets, one with the North Pole, one with the South Pole, goes past each other, it wants to attach. And that's why a vaccine normally is de-attenuated, because they take out that ionised molecule so it doesn't go around jumping on everything. But what that does is it allows the uh, antibody to attach to the antigen, end of story. Now, the other thing is, because that molecule is still quite large, it's 28 um, molecules remaining in a normal uh, de-attenuated vaccine, it is too big to cross the endothelium, right? Now, what is the endothelium? It is the small capillary between your muscle tissues and your bloodstream. And in order to cross that uh, uh, capillary, you've got to be small enough in a process called uh, endocytosis in order to cross into the bloodstream, right? Now, what this particular vaccine does is that delivers a lipid nanoparticle. It is a very tiny particle, much smaller by a factor of a thousand than a normal virus. And what that means is it can travel from the tissue through the endothelium into your bloodstream. Now, we know that that's the way this particular vaccine works because in the TGA, non-clinical evaluation report, if you go to table 4.2, you will see where they have done the distribution of the lipid nanoparticles on, on the lab rats, literally the lab rats. Which you've seen, I've shown you many times, which just shows you the collection in the ovaries, the pancreas, I believe, uh, the, the reproductive organs, 
I mean, it's, it's all very clear. That's directly from Pfizer's data that showed you it doesn't. It very quickly ends up in your body. And they just hid this. They just pretend it's not there. They lie about it. How crazy is that? And don't forget that nanoparticles themselves, individually of anything else, are shown historically with their own studies to be dangerous to your body, both for reproductive organs, cancers, all sorts of things. By the way, notice how many people showed up to hear this, right? Everybody really cares about the facts. Uh, when they injected this particular vaccine. And I'll... Thank you, the spleen. Thank you. Uh, correction, that was the spleen. Uh, there, uh, there was something in the pancreas, but the spleen was the big one. The spleen and the ovaries, I believe, were the, the larger ones. I don't want to misquote it because I, I looked at it just the other day on Alison Morrow's. I, I, I played, I showed that when we had the conversation about the BBC documentary. In any case, let me try, I'll, maybe I'll try to grab it while this is playing. Just read out some of the some of the body organs that it went through and the concentration increases. I just want to focus for a start on the ovaries. After the first 25 minutes, it was at 0.1. By the uh, uh, so the concentration levels was uh, milligrams to each gram. So by the end of the first uh, 25 minutes, it was 0.1. By the end of the first day, it was point, uh, 5.25. And then by the end of the second day, it was 12.26. Now, that has doubled after two days. And not, that's not the only organ. Uh, it went into the liver, uh, goes into the heart, the eyes, the brain, the bone marrow, the bladder, the adrenal glands. There's just about half of the vaccine and the lipid nanoparticles go into organs other than the injection site. Now, this is despite the fact that we were told that a normal vaccine goes into your deltoid muscle and that's where it stays. Well, that's not the case with this particular vaccine. And what's particularly scary about this... Here it is right here. Before he continues, just so you guys can see it for yourself, I'll include this. I have this saved on our, own, on our server so, it does, so we can't lose it. But this is their documentation. You can see right here for for Pfizer's injection and this is we've been showing you this for a long time so have a lot of people and it's specifically about the total lipid concentration that's there's only that's what is injected in the lipid that's encapsulating the mRNA instructions to make the spike protein right so if it's ending up as he's pointing out in your ovaries 12.3 or your spleen 23.4 or anywhere else for that matter it shows you that it's getting to everywhere else in your body and the study we talked about shows you that w within less than 24 hours it's already circulating your bloodstream all this is peer-reviewed science this is pfizer's own documentation and yet we're censored for talking about it it's madness where we are but they, this is proving what he's saying and we've been saying it for a long time they knew this in the animal trials and despite the fact that the concentration was still increasing after 48 hours you know what they did they stopped the trial they stopped the trial. Of course. Now, don't you think you would run the trial right through to the point of where the lipid nanoparticles had left the body? But they didn't do that. And not only that, that's just the start of it. Because once you start gets inside the cell and start uh, creating the spike protein, that can last for days longer as well. But here's the thing. In the animal trials, they never delivered the spike protein mRNA inside the lipid. They delivered a benign enzyme by the name of luciferase, which is the stuff you see in fly flies, uh, and that lights up so that they could trace it. And remember, that was the conversation that got misinterpreted right in the beginning about whether that was in the injections. And it, it, was, it was in the study because it's, a, it's something that's used to, you could basically track it through the body using its, its flor, uh, what's it, not the flu, fluorescence, I think is the right term for it. So it, it, you could see it on like an x-ray and so on. So you can see where it goes in the body, which means they knew that. But also what it's getting at is the point is the spike protein not being there made this less 
far less dangerous. The spike protein is the one of the largest, if not the, I mean, it's not the entire point because as I pointed out, all these have individual problems, but the spike protein is the primary reason, the cytotoxic spike protein that can cause disease in and of itself is why people are having heart attacks and strokes and everything else. So that, that is a choice to make it look less. But as the TGA non-clinical report says, they never tested the distribution and degradation of the spike protein in any humans or animals in this particular, uh, for this particular vaccine before they rolled it out. Now, normally when you get the virus, okay, it comes in through your mucosal system uh, and, is gets, and then if your immunoglobin A in your mucosal system doesn't actually kill the virus, it'll eventually get in your systemic blood system. Your mucosal system's driven by immunoglobin A, uh, your stem, systemic blood system's driven by immunoglobin G. Now, once it gets in there, once the virus gets in, in order to get inside the cell, it needs to rely on the antigen, what they call the ACE receptor, which is the angiotensin converting enzyme, and also the transmembrane serine protease, which is another enzyme. And that has to carry the virus across your cell membrane because your membrane is there to protect the organelles inside the cell, i.e. your nucleus, your ribosome and your mitochondria in particular, from the external forces. What this particular vaccine does, it's catatonic, cat uh, cat the, the lipid is catatonic. So that means it uses transfection and like yeah, cooking sausages uh, on, on the barbecue and you see blobs of fat merged together, that's exactly what happens with transfection. There is no uh, uh, barrier to this particular vaccine with the lipid going into any cell. So right. not only does it stop inside the uh, at the deltoid, it goes all throughout your body and it can go into any cell because of the way they've designed this lipid protein, lipid nanoparticle, sorry. Now, once it's actually inside the actual cell, okay, normally, now this is, this is a first, right? So normally, you know, you get a vaccine, you get the antigen, it doesn't go anywhere near your cell. Once it goes into your cell, it then goes into the part of your cell called the ribosomes, which is which translates the mRNA. Now that ribosome will produce a protein. Now normally, the, the spike protein in the, on the virus is not the same as the spike protein in the vaccine. No, no, what they've done is they've replaced the nucleotide uracil and they've put in a new uh, nucleotide called methyl pseudouridine. Now that was shown in studies in 2005 to actually evade the in immune system and have greater self-amplifying properties. In other words, it creates more proteins. Uh, but not only did they modify the mRNA that way, they also added another 70 adene nucleotides at the end of the mRNA strand. Right? So normally there's about 30 adene nucleotides at the end of the mRNA strand. Well, they've added another 70. So what does that mean? That the spike protein lasts a lot longer inside your cell, creating a toxic substance or a toxic molecule that you know, is ionised uh, in an unregulated manner. And by an there's, how do you listen to this and not th walk away thinking they made this more dangerous? They made sure, one, that it would go into your body by the way they did it. Two, that they made sure the spike protein would last longer and be more dangerous. My God, guys, I mean, every action, I can't, the more this gets further on, the more I have, have I find it hard to see, To I find it hard to miss that this was a intentionally damaging action, that they wanted people to get sick with the masks they pushed on people that increase your risk of infection, with the injections they gave that in every possible way are increasing your risk of infection, increasing your, destroying your immune system, that are, I mean, everything. 
I mean, this is either one of the most clumsy, clown shoe, ham-fisted, broken efforts of just the most incompetent group of people in history, or they wanted you to get sick. I just don't know how we can see it any other way. Unregulated manner. What I mean by that is it relies on your immune system to kick in and come in and destroy your cells. Now, a normal vaccine doesn't do any of that. It stays inside your deltoid muscle, doesn't go anywhere because it's too big to travel. So what we've got now is a vaccine that has delivered a protein in an unregulated manner. That, so that, that's similar to a pathway of cancer where basically you get the unregulated reproduction right. of toxic molecules. And then it relies on your own body's immune system to attack your cells, right? So we're requiring, you know, where you've got some, where you've got your own body attacking your own cells, you're now creating a pathway similar to acquired uh, immune deficiency syndrome, which, you know, if it goes wrong, you do not want your own body attacking your own cells. Okay, so your next step after that is effectively your concentration. So when it comes through your mucosal system, if you've got a strong, healthy immune system, the immunoglobin A in that immune system should stop it from getting into your bloodstream. When it's injected directly into your bloodstream, all you're getting is an IgG response. You are not getting an IgA response. So when they said early on that it was going to stop transmission, that was a blatant lie. And why was it? Because anyone that understands anything about immunology knows that you needed an immunoglobin A response to kill the actual virus in your mucosal system. Because if you don't kill it in your mucosal system, you can still transmit it, right? So now the, the paper did show that you got an immunoglobin G response, and that lasted for up to 35 days in rats, uh, sorry, in monkeys. But those monkeys only weighed 10 kilograms, and they gave three times the dose of what they did to humans. So it was a, a greater dose of about 20 times. So you could argue that, you know, 35 divided by 20 days, maybe the immunoglobin G response might have start, lasted for two days. But the other point is, is that by doing it this way, and what, what they, the pathways they are using was that they never tested this before they put it into humans. They never tested for genotoxicity studies, despite the fact that this was the first time they ever put genes inside a body and it synthesised genes. They never did longitudinal testing, they never did carcinogenic testing, and they never tested it for other drugs. So people who take other drugs, especially immunosuppressants, Thank they never tested it for much, that. Senator How many times have you heard me say all that? Right? How many times have you heard me discuss all the things where they didn't test it? They, they, didn't, they don't know if it's safe for any of these situations, whether it's safe for other vaccines, whether it's safe for pregnant women. All that's in their own, own information. The point is what, he, what he's outli outlining for you there is this thing is dangerous. You guys know that. Very clearly. But here's one more point before I address something in the chat really quickly. Up to 70% of the U.S. population are now refusing to partake in the largest real-world experiment ever conducted. Right? This is from the expose. CDC report admits that 74.2 million people in the U.S. have not had a single dose of this injection. 74 million. You are not alone. Because even the people that had two are now pushing back. Another 157 million have refused the second or third dose. Right. That's half the country, guys, or, you know, a little less. In any case, somebody just commented in the chat about China. I want to make sure we clarify this because something this is the kind of stuff that gets very quickly in a partisan way spread. Uh, it, somebody's reporting. And this was from yesterday, by the way, that missiles were fired by China to appear have landed in their exclusive economic zone. Just to clarify, it's the water. That's what we're talking about. So this is a hype about something that does not seem to be valid to me in the context of what's really going on. But 
it said they it says the where was it? Their diplomatic route. We're talking about in the water. Here's another report from uh, from Bloomberg, and I like how they say China likely fired missiles over Taiwan. China probably sent four missiles over the island. So let's wait and let this flesh out a little bit before all the screaming conservative partisan, you know, that kind of stuff out there hyperbolically reports about how we're at war, right? Just pumping the brakes, just what everybody knows. But I'm sure I'll follow up on this tomorrow. It's, you know, this is the same thing as North Korea firing something that lands in the water and everybody freaks out about our democracy being at risk. There's something to be said about how this is. I mean, when the U.S. tests things on the other side of the world, right in people's backyards, do they freak out about war? They should, but it's it's a double standard, just so we're clear on that. But I'll, I'll sure I'll follow up on this seeming non-story tomorrow. But the point is, guys, you're not alone. And what he just outlined there is that you are in danger from this thing. I mean, my God, in every possible way, nobody should take this. And I'm sure people are, oh, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't care about that anymore. I'm not telling you to do anything based on my advice. But what I'm telling you is it's my perception that this stuff is dangerous for everybody. No matter what, I just don't even know why we soft pedal this anymore. It's overwhelming. Oh, and by the way, the people that have taken 40,000 doses of this, joking, four, five doses, I guess, quadruple vax, German health minister, test positive for COVID. Look at that. Oh, and Biden is still sick right now, still testing positive, even though he's got four shots and two rounds of the sickness causing Paxlovid. Uh, well, we'll keep fighting. But on to lockdowns and masks and so on quickly to brush through this study finds closing bars restaurants did not suppress COVID-19 you can read the study for yourself the study basically says that they did not see that this helped essentially as always the study kind of makes the oh well maybe with this and with that the bottom line is that we're talking about something that was done that destroyed everything your business your livelihood your jobs your your child's well-being and mental clarity their mental stability all for what? For no actual positive effect. A study finds. But, I mean, it's amazing that we're, how much you want to bet this study gets ignored because it's the wrong science, right? Even though it's peer-reviewed and whatever, it doesn't matter, fake news. Well, just so you remember, this is from 2021. Also, uh, Dr. Bat- uh, Bhattachara, Stanford doctor, says, quote, the big lockdowns were the biggest public health mistake we've ever made. I agree with that. And the science agrees with that. Let's see how long it takes for the corporate media and their followers to catch on. As on top of that, by the way, recently released court documents reveal that the Trudeau government's travel vaccine mandate was driven by politics and not science. Shocking. Days before it kicked in, kicked in, senior officials were scrambling to find a rationale. I mean, they were doing their best to find out why this made sense and they couldn't figure it out, did it anyway. But here's, here's what's alarming to me, by the way. Apparently, this woman, who is writing an article that's rooted in what I think is the reality, is for a new outlet that's run by, of all people, Barry Weiss. You know, I believe it was the New York Times, Barry Weiss, that called, you know, was on Joe Rogan talking about Assad toadies and didn't even know what the word meant. Not that that's the biggest point to make. The point is, I find it very hard to go along with somebody who was, on, who was that stupid about such an obvious thing, that completely taken by the corporate narrative working for places like the New York Times that have actively covered up information for a long time. But doesn't mean she didn't come around and change her mind and recognize that she'd been... But just going to throw that out there, that this commonsense.news outlet is Barry Weiss's outlet. So I'm very, 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 very skeptical about whether it's actually covering this the right way. You know, truthfully, I should say. But in any case, that point is correct. And the article does seem sound. The point is that they used politics to push this forward. I wonder if they're still arguing that 
people that argued that Assad didn't gas people were Assad toadies, like Tulsi Gabbard. She called Tulsi Gabbard an Assad toady. We'll see if they rectify that opinion. There's a lot of outlets like that that do that, that, you know, shift their opinion all of a sudden because it works for them. But here's another point. Mask study, which I, I, this is the same one we already covered. Just to point out, the Brownstone Institute's also saying this as of August 3rd, a new low in mask studies. This is the one that I went over and, and was laughing about how dumb it was, and turns out I was not wrong. A new challenger has emerged, attempting to take the crown of the most insidiously incompetent study to be released on masking. Its masterpiece of bad science, poor methodology, and purposeful misdirection. I completely agree. Read this for yourself. The study's embarrassingly bad, and they use it. Oh, this one settles the argument of mass. So they always do that. Nope. No, it doesn't. It's on a preprint, first of all. <laughs> it's not sound at all. But to add to that, CDC posts, as of August 4th, over 84% of the U.S. population, after everything we just discussed, by the way, is in the location with a medium or high COVID-19 community level. Really? 84% is in a medium or high? Like, we're still in a pandemic, apparently, according to the CDC's madness. Like, seriously, like, we're, like, look around you right now. What you're pointing at is the vaccine damage. That's what you're making out to be right there. If you live in a medium or high community level, which is 84% of the country, apparently, consider taking steps to protect yourself and others. Like masking. <laughs> like wearing a mask. You know, like wearing the thing that dr d increases your risk of infection that has no statistical significant effect on transmission. But wear it, though, because CDC says. My God, I can't believe we're, we're here. It blows my mind. But final two discussions on food and water. This is important because this is happening simultaneously. This is not the 10-year future of the Great Reset. This is literally happening while they're pointing at monkeypox and COVID-19, which very well could just be a massive distraction sidestep to get this to happen or, you know, priming us all for where we need to go. Look at how terrible it all is, but here's how we reimagine it. It's where it seems to be going. Quote, Rockefeller Foundation says, quote, our investments in regenerative agriculture and other innovations will help grow food that is healthier for people and planet alike. What they leave out of that, though, is how we destroy everything first before we get there, right? We're going to do things that make everyone more sustainable, but right before that, we're going to starve everyone to death, right? That's how it's going to work for you. Just take it on the chin, world, because we're going to make it better for you, we say, sort of like they made things better with GMOs and failed, and how we're going to save everybody with oral polio vaccines and failed, or did it exactly the way it went to, and they argued something else. However you look at this, guys, this is what's actually happening. Not this tweet, but where we're going to go next. They're telling you that we're going to rebuild it all. Rockefeller Foundation, because you should trust them, right? Because historically, they've been on your side, right? Well, here's California, first of all. Newsom, Gavin Newsom, is going to be paying farmers $2.9 billion in total not to grow food. This is actually happening. I mean, this blows me away. At a time when they are arguing that it's Putin's fault that we don't have food in everywhere you can point at, in Norwegian countries, in the United States, and they're, they're trying to stop farmers on a totally separate argument, they say, to reduce nitrogen for the 2030 agenda. Right. But that's not the same thing that Putin's doing. Make sense of that. It's Putin's fault and the wheat in Ukraine that's apparently affecting everything across the world in every possible way. It's just so stupid. Yes, it has an effect, obviously. But think about how once, how completely, like the tunnel vision there. Like, how do you not see how dumb that is? You're paying farmers not to grow food. And then when they don't have food and you don't have food in the store, it's Putin's fault. Or whatever else, climate change. 
Well, you can't claim it's climate change doing this when you're doing it because you want to stop what you call climate change. That's the argument of saying that Iran is starving its own people because we are sanctioning them and they can't feed their fam- their people because of their actions. It's like your, your big brother hitting you with your own hand saying, stop hitting yourself. <laughs> That's what they're doing. The argument is that because of this, it's gr- it's just it's abstract and it's broken logic. The bottom line is they're creating a food crisis. They are actively reducing the food supply because it, their argument is to reduce nitrogen for 2030 agenda and then blaming anything anywhere else for why you can't feed yourself or if that's even where you are and that's happening. It is absolutely mind boggling. And this is why I absolutely think that most people see this because this I mean, guys, this is basic. I don't know how you can look at this and walk away thinking that the, that Putin's doing this. If you think that, I, I don't know how you tie your shoes in the morning. Because it's so very clear that this is being done to you in a thousand different ways. We're only going to go over a few of them. We've gone over a lot in the past. But the bottom line is this is happening in California. And it's it's there's, a, there's more to it than that ultimately. Here is the a bill adding to it. Democrats' climate bill could pay farmers not to grow food. And this is the UN, this is the United States. Hasn't happened yet, but it's being introduced. 20 billion dollars. Right. 20 billion. So we can't pay 40 billion to help all the poor people in this country. We can spend four, 48 billion is what it was, but we can pay 40 billion to give Nazis weapons in Ukraine for freedom apparently. But then we can also just pull up another 20 billion to pay people not to grow food at a time when we can't feed ourselves. You won't give us money because we're struggling. We'll give money to Nazis. We'll also pay money to make sure you're even less prepared. <laughs> All to create the illusion that we're in trouble so we can then reimagine it. Or at least that's what I perceive it as. My God. $20 billion to incentivize farmers to not grow crops in the interest of environmental co- conservation. And of course, preventing climate change. According to the bill's own text. I'm actually going to be going through this in more depth, I think. Right now, I just want to include this in this discussion that is actually happening. This is not some conspiracy theory. This is actually in real time on the surface happening, which is what's really crazy to me. Usually there's some kind of like secondary narrative. They're just like blatantly coming out and saying, we have to stop you from growing food because that affects climate change. But then when we point out the food shortage, they blame anything else. Here's another example. Here's the the West's Awake points out that it's not just this country. The Irish government and the EU are actively incentivizing farmers right now and fishermen to not produce food. How in the world do we make sense of that? This person says, I I wondered if farmers could turn some of their fields into allotments and rent them to other local people. Like, this is what we would argue, right? Well, screw them. Start, Start having your own community efforts. Well, that's where this comes in. Guess what just happened in Canada? Until they decide to make it illegal. Not like all of Canada, but specifically the, the Northwest Territory. First of all, it's just an image. I did verify it. But it says the Northwest Territory government has made selling of food from farmers directly to people illegal. According to one of the farm, the, the Northern Farm Trading Training Institute. So here's the actual post. First of all, Northern Farm Training Institute. Right. So this is in the Northwest Territories, and it's an institute where they train people in, on farming techniques and so on. It says these are email. Oh, actually, hold on. This was the. Oh, wait, how did I do that? Son of a gun. Hold on a second. Was it this one? I think it was. Yeah, it's right here. Hold on. I screwed that up because it was right here. I had it highlighted, but it's all I can just read through it. This is the second one. 
Right. Okay. So the second one gives more insight. I'll get to that next about why I like how, how they're explaining it really. So this is on August 2nd. Here's where they're reporting that it's happening. These, oh wait, I did the same thing. How am I, how am I missing this? Oh, I know what I did. I apologize. I'm confusing myself. That's the most recent. I'll go back. Sorry. It's right here. There it is. Okay. Here's the first post from July 28th. Turns out we're not allowed to sell our produce to our community. Hear that again. We're not allowed to sell our produce that they grow to their own community on our own farm. Last Saturday, our farm stand on their own property was literally shut down by the government. That's not a hypothetical. This has been confirmed. This actually happened. Selling of food from farmers directly to people is now illegal in the Northwest Territory. The public is only allowed to buy food from producers who have government permission through a government permitting program. Now, we'll get into it next, what that means. The bottom line is these people don't have what it, the, the, what, would, what it would take to, to reach the permit that they're, they're demanding they now have to do something they shouldn't need a permit to do. Is, re- is almost impossible for these people in this position. You basically would need to set up an entire store and have the whole set up like a, like a grocery store. There's no, that, that I, maybe they will do that now, but the idea is that that is ridiculous because the cost and what's needed is not, it's not feasible for people that also want to manage their farm. This is crazy. You're, you're making it not only illegal around the world or rather reducing the food supply around the world, but making it illegal for average farmers to then step up and sell to people. This is like what we see in regard to stores that won't allow you to donate your extra food to homeless people, even though they absolutely legally can because there's plenty of laws that protect them, liability and otherwise. I'll get to that in a minute when we get into the explanation. But it says, we still want to continue sharing our produce with the people in our community, especially in a community that is already struggling with food insecurity and access to fresh and healthy foods, and especially in times like this, when food shortages are on the horizon, in fact, are already happening. I mean, think about the negligence, or rather the willful malfeasance. for These are government entities that know people are struggling with food, and they step in and go, no, you can't sell them that food that otherwise would rot without a permit. It says, so starting today, there is a permanent farm stand located at this entrance right in the highway where you can pick up farm fresh eggs, organically grown vegetables every day. So they're just they're circumventing it, which they'll probably get arrested for, to be quite honest. Oh, here's what they say. We're offering food for donations. I promise you they're going to come and stop this too. If, they're, if, if it's really about stopping the flow, which is clearly what it is, they'll find a way to stop that too. But here's the update. They come, they come back and they basically have some emails that prove this is happening. And I'll show you that next as well. But it says the government employee from the health department said it is now a requirement for us to have both a permit and a licensed approved kitchen to vend farm grown and baked low risk foods. Low risk. Here's the point. It's, they, this is the argument of liability. Like what if somebody gets sick and you sell them something? That, what are you, you're talking about food, whole food produce? You're going to sell them an apple or, or a pepper and they're going to eat it and get sick? Like, that's literally anywhere. The bottom line is they're creating a situation where there's a perceived liability, but it's not even there. The same thing with, like, with grocery stores. They all argue, and this is why I've made this argument many times, they pour bleach over the food in their dumpster. They throw away perfectly good food. It's legally safe for them to give it to anybody they want. There's been numerous cases that have ruled that they're not liable for people that may get sick from food that they accept through donation. But yet, they still pretend like that's the case because I guess they don't want anybody even benefiting from food they don't sell. I mean, it's just disgusting. 
There, there's action that taken for homeless people who might want to eat it. They, tore, they pour bleach over it. The bottom line, as I've made very clear in the past, this country alone produced, throws away enough food to feed the entire planet. I've made this clear so many times. Now, you could, oh, you could also argue alternatively that the U.N. says every year it would take about $30 billion just to, to feed everybody that's food secure, insecure. And yet every single day they spend like $40 billion, $30 billion here, $20 billion there. Not to say that they should be required to do that, but the point is if they actually cared about saving the hungry, they could do it right now. Just like that. No problem. Take a fraction of our $1 trillion spent on war. A fraction. But the point is low-risk foods which down south have been vended for decades without permits and a license, are now not allowed. Why? What changed? What changed? For decades, they've been doing this. What changed? When reflecting on these letters, according to the premier, there are no farms. Or here, let me read this first based on what they say. So here's the first part of it. They respond to this. I'm appalled by your government would stoop this low. You know, why are you letting this happen? And they responded saying, I don't think you have the right premier. Pretending like they're talking to some some other uh, leader. We are the Northwest Territories, and our only and the only farm we have was just a self-supporting and got flooded in the spring. The other producer is an egg farmer. The Northwest Territories does not have the soil and conditions required to grow crops. You see, it undermines their own argument. They're literally saying we don't have any farms here. First of all, you're you're looking at one right there, so they're lying to you. But on top of that, their point that they make here is very clear. When reflecting on these letters, according to the premier, there are no farms or just a token few, nor will there be farms in the future. Because in the government opinion, poor soil and harsh climate will prevent people from farming and growing food. Okay, right. That's the argument. So then why create a policy like this in the first place? Right. If there's no farms to sell food, why would you stop the farms that aren't there from selling food? Right. To regulate a sector that they think is impossible in the Northwest Territories to exist. I mean, this is inherently contradictory like everything else they do. If the elected MLAs have this opinion that there are no farmers and never will be, why create this policy? Why would they spend time and money for a sector that they don't believe exists or ever can, according to the statement from the premier? I mean, my God, we live in a fake reality. This is ridiculous. These people are children if they don't think we can see through that. Well, it's not just food, by the way even though that is actually happening and they are actually making it illegal for farmers to sell their food as they shut them down and won't allow them to sell. Like they're making sure these people suffer, especially the farmers. And it's happening all around the world. So let's not pretend like this is not a coordinated plan. But it's also water. Uh, is from, uh, from KCRA from California. Audit says nearly 1 million in California face long-term health issues due to unsafe drinking water. Well, guess what, guys? That's been that way for years, for decades. I just made this point the other day. So why now are they hyping it up? Because it's a means to an end. They don't care that it's unsafe. They haven't cared this entire time. Do you know how much money California gets every year for this exact problem? Billions of dollars. If not mil- millions or bil- some, some years, billions. I'm not making this up. I've gone over in past years, bil- uh, you know, $5 billion for water infrastructure. $9 billion. I mean, I could just, I won't do it because it'll derail it. I'm at the end of the show. But I've made this point very clear. How, where's that $9 billion go? Where'd the, the last $500 million go? Clearly not to make the water safe because it's still dangerous. But here's the, here's the other report I just showed you. Uh, Californians do not have safe drinking water. But here's the point from before as well. It's not, and Derek has written about this. It's not just any one place. The half, most of the country is struggling from this. But if they cared, why does Flint still have the same problem? Eight years later, Flint is still having a water. Seriously? I mean, guys, that's just pathetic. I mean, that's insulting to our intelligence. They don't care about you. 
But here's the interesting part on top of that. Not only is your water now not safe, so we'll have to do something else, even though it's always been that way, and you should have always been using reverse osmosis. Here's another part. Forever chemicals. Oh, you mean like what they've been using ubiquitously all over the place without care, but now they care? Well, those things they put everywhere make your rainwater everywhere unsafe to drink. I'm not, that's actually what it says. Make rainwater everywhere unsafe. Don't, don't collect your rainwater. Sierra makes an appearance. Don't, don't trust the rainwater anywhere. Don't collect your rainwater. Gee, we can't let that happen, can we? I mean, guys, this is incredible. The PFAS chemicals they're talking about, which is what we've been screaming about for years and years. They don't care. Now they suddenly care, right? Final last one. I think this is so telling. Millions at risk of power and water shortages. As the two, as two of the nation's largest reservoirs on the brink of a Deadpool status, the UN warns. Why in the world is the UN speaking up about US saying, "Hey, US, you've got two problems right there"? In the really, like, why is the UN? That is kind of telling to me, to be quite honest. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry, come back to this one in the future. But this is they're hyping up this stuff everywhere, even though there's some level of truth to the problems. It's about now pointing at the problems they haven't cared about, and now just to carry over to the power problem. That's what this discusses in the, the force, the discussion of how we need to change everything for climate change. Bernie's tweets makes a great point here. The World Economic Forum circulates air conditioning, uh, or no, excuse, calculates that air conditioning will increase global temperature by 0.5%. Well, here's what's interesting. So whilst you struggle to heat your home in winter, right, because they're, they're shutting off power and reducing power all over the place, remember, all eight stadiums in Qatar, will pump out enough emissions to lower the temperature from 50 degrees to a balmy 26, according to their ridiculous prediction. The point is, guys, in eight different stadiums through Qatar, they are literally massively constantly pumping out this temperature, the air conditioning in an area that's open all day, every day. Think about how crazy that is, but they're reducing your personal consumption. Are they stopping the, the high-level stars homes and everything else? No, it's your small production in your home. That's what There's a reason for that. Here's another point. The EPA, or rather these two politicians, are trying to get to a point where the EPA can just skip over everything and have the ability to enforce your carbon and enforce what they want you to be able to live by. As it says, trillions are being given to Lockheed or other manufacturers of weapons who are the world's worst polluters. But yeah, let's introduce the conversation to transition to care that affects your life before we even talk about these other people. As they're talking about climate action can't wait. So we're going to do something that skips over all the process. Funny how that works when they want it to, right? Well, here's this clip. This should upset you. Hey, all. Hey, everyone. This is Congressman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And Congressman Jake Ockencross. Recently, the Supreme Court ruled in West Virginia versus EPA that the EPA did not have the requisite authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Climate action can't wait. So Alex and I recently introduced a bill that would explicitly grant the authority that the Supreme Court had denied to the EPA. So again, we have a situation where the Supreme Court rules. Supreme Court says that's not that they do not have the authority. Right. So what what, you know, what would happen if the Republicans were on the other side of this and they were going, we don't agree that the Supreme Court. Well, these people would call it terrorism. Right. They say, oh, they're circumventing justice and democracy. And, you know, it's, it's all hyperbolic nonsense. It comes from both sides, guys. They're all ridiculous. But you know how that works. So what they're saying now is Supreme Court ruled. We don't like what they said. So we're going to pass a law that says that we're just going to jump right over all that and explicitly give them the authority. The Supreme Court ruled they didn't have and shouldn't have. 
freedom, democracy, right? In fact, that's how mob rule actually works. But this is insulting. You're giving them all under the guise that climate change can't wait. You mean like it couldn't have waited since before 2000 when we said it'd all be underwater, but then 2000 came, we pushed down the line. Yeah, I can't wait for another 20 years, even though it will wait 20 years, it'll be another 20 years. The reality is historically and factually, scientifically, that's not the reality what they keep pushing. Either way, they're using it as a hyperbolic pushing point to say, we have to do it now. We can't wait for democracy. We can't wait for you guys to chime in. Climate change can't wait. So they push this in, or they're trying to, to give them the authority to control your life. Welcome to your carbon tax and your social credit. That's where that's leading to, guys. They can take the action necessary to transition us to a clean energy future. Absolutely. And then... To, tran to transition us to a clean energy future. I mean, that's what's happening right now. Without your choice, without your voting, based on the agreement of a technocratic elitist group. They're, they're pushing us. We're reducing this. We're stopping farming. We're stopping all that. That's what they're doing. So if you can't see the connect here, that they're making worldwide actions in multiple governments simultaneously to, to reach some goal or drive some agenda, then you're not paying attention. It is the most transparent thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, after all of these rulings, uh, these terrible rulings coming out of the Supreme Court, the House has successfully codified Roe. We have successfully voted to codify and protect the right to contraception, same-sex marriage. And next up, we have to vote to protect the EPA in, in making sure that we defend ourselves against uh, this assault on our rights from the Supreme Court. So Okay, so now it's an assault on our rights for the court to rule that the EPA doesn't have the right to enforce its rule on you. I don't think she's very bright if that's how... I mean, come on, guys. Think about what she just said. So protecting your rights is protecting the right of the EPA to force things on you you don't want. Freedom. Constitutional right. Does she even understand what constitutional right is? Or the fact that the Supreme Court did not attack anybody's rights, but in fact enforced the Constitution to the line? And even if you argue that they did, their action gave the states the choice. The Supreme Court simply opened the door for things to go a different direction. In no way, in any argument, did the Supreme Court reduce anybody's rights. But here they are, towing their stupid, dumbed-down argument for people that actually buy the partisan illusion. It kills me. We're here. We have to vote to protect the EPA. In, in To protect the EPA? What do you mean, protect it? You mean to give it authority over your life? That's what she means. But you frame it in a way that acts like it's under attack. So all the people on their side jump up and go fight, you know, save the EPA. How much you want to bet we're going to get that popping up? I stand with the EPA or whatever they're going to be doing. Watch. Watch as that happens. Making sure that we defend ourselves against uh, this assault on our rights from the Supreme Court. So we're here. We're here to advance this legislation and we won't stop until it's done. An assault on your rights from the Supreme Court. Now, if the Supreme Court ruled the way they wanted, well, they'd be okay with it, right? And if the other side said an assault on our rights, they'd be like, you can't challenge Supreme Court. That's this, our democracy. And you get it. It's the same thing every time. And it's always frustrating. And it's just constant. Well, as I told you, this clip shows you something very alarming. This is how it begins. It begins with incentives. You know, do this and you'll get an extra that. You know, use this and you'll go to the front of the line. Then the incentives turn into penalty penalties for not doing it. Oh, you didn't use your special app or you didn't do the right thing or where the right where, you know, take the right action. Well, you're going to lose this right. You're not going to be able to go on the bus. Sorry, you can't come in the store because you don't have enough credits. That's the next part. Then the argument is made that it must be forced on those people not doing it for the greater good. Guys, we've been here before. This is not new. It repeats itself over and over. As it says, 
this new climate deal could pay people in the U.S. to be more sustainable. Now, sustainable means whatever they want it to mean in this context. It's probably completely tied around carbon. It's called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. And if it's signed into law by U.S. legislatures, this is the World Economic Forum video, it will unlock $370 billion in funding for emergency security and climate change. Oh, my God. They can't give your families $48 billion to spread amongst the country, but they can spend $370 billion to do what they want to do, even as this country does not agree with what they're doing. And by the way, as half this country, at the very least, disputes whether the argument is even sound about climate change. It includes giving people credits, I told you, of up to $7,500 to buy new electric vehicles. These are the incentives. And up to 8000 for domestic heat pumps. Right? We're going to incentivize you to take these certain directions. There are tax credits for renewable energy products. And carbon capture schemes. There's the next part. Oil and gas producers will have to pay a methane emission fee. Yeah, which they'll pay. They'll factor it in as a process, a cost of doing business. They'll pay it and still pollute. But you'll not be able to afford it. And so you'll have to change your action. And it won't even chip away at what they say is happening. That will rise to $1,500 per ton of methane by 2026. Methane is responsible for 25% of global warming, according to this post, and is seen as one of the easiest ways to tackle climate change in the short term. The bill will also provide $20 billion for climate smart agriculture. That's exactly what we were just pointing at. That is this. Regenerative agriculture and other innovations. This is the Rockefeller Foundation, right? This, there's obvious coordination for how this is rolling out. That's money the U.S. government is spending to fund other people for actions that are ch that challenge exactly what, what the average person wants right now. And the fact that this it, to get there, they're showing you right now, is going to be disruptive, chaotic, and catastrophic to your life. But even if they argue it's a better side of it, it's not your choice. $7.6 billion for forest and coastal conservation efforts. Right, what's funny about that is that's what should have already been happening this entire time. We don't need to spend money to do that. We just need to, I mean, the idea is that this is the very corporate companies that have been allowing these things to be removed for corporate reasons, for government coordination for a long time, for military and otherwise. Experts have described the bill as transformative and a crucial step forward. Which experts, who cares? They're experts because they say that. But it has some way to go before becoming law. Law. Actual law to force This is crazy. And Democrats only have wafer-thin majorities in each. Which shows you that it's not a complete... They try to frame this as everyone agrees except the fringe. Clearly not. Not even all their side agrees with this. What's your government doing to tackle the climate crisis? Crazy. Well, la uh, I think, oh yeah, there's two last points here. This one is interesting. This is about the, sh the transition to a digital currency. And this is just somebody's prediction. I found this very telling. He's predicting what you'll see after the Federal Reserve goes away, but kind of by design in a way. You'll see what he says. It's very interesting. Now, this just simply argues there'll be a new entity that rises up to control the new currency. So I'd be interested to see, like, this does seem like where it's going, personally. Oh, well, you know, I didn't actually, let's see. Now, you know what, let's just skip that one. I'll include that. You can watch for yourself. 
I didn't download it. I want to wait. But basically, all he says is after the collapse, you'll see a new entity surface that will be in charge of the new digital currency. That's the way this is going. It's all rebalancing and reorganizing and reimagining right in front of you under the guise of something else. Putin did it, right? Well, finally, we'll end with this clip. This is your future unless you do something about it. So pay attention because this is where it's all going, guys. So thank you for tuning in today longer than I wanted, but I appreciate you being here and tuning into the end. So much going on, but it's very clear that, that those that questioned were right to do so. It's just amazing how obvious this is. I love you all. Thank you for being here and continue to support the last American vagabond. So we're constantly under attack right now, as you guys can see, but we won't give up as long as you don't give up on us. As always question everything, come to your own conclusions. As I didn't grab the video again, <laughs> as I make sure, oh, you know what? I think, oh, that's right. See, man, I waste my time anyway. I got to grab this one. I do want to play this on the way out. I didn't, it looks like I forgot to grab those last two. Don't know why. Thought I was this close to getting it all and having everything ready. I want this one anyway. This is an important one. From This is from the GDI, I believe, the Monetary Institute. All right. Here we go. All right. Question everything, guys. Come to your own conclusions. There we go. Stay vigilant. <laughs> How have the central bankers, this is my last slide because my 12 minutes are just up, have reacted to the truth coming out? They admit that they've been telling porkies and now they propose to increase their power. So central bankers belatedly admit, oh, Oh, now that you've mentioned it, uh, yes, banks create the money supply. Um, so uh, let's abolish that now. <laughs> um, and also, by the way, let's abolish cash. So what should we do? Well, introduce digital cyber currency that central banks issue and control and thereby gain total control over all economic transactions, decisions, and the whole lot you've just heard from the CEO of the GDI. So the greatest concentration of central banking power in history is really the bid they're aiming at. That's the central bank's goal. And, of course, digital accounts of um, dissenters and regime critics could be switched off. It would be very difficult to even purchase necessities. So this is an Orwellian dystopia of total control, the end of any freedoms. That's um, really what central banks are aiming at. Several central banks have, like the Bank of England, already prepared their microchip implant, RFID chip, to be implanted under your skin. Um, and why is the sudden discussion about universal basic income from all the grassroots and in inverted commas movements and billionaires? Oh, universal basic income is the bribe for you to accept the microchip. The overarching trend of the 20th century is concentration of power in the hands of the few. That's what we have to keep in mind. We have to work against this. We don't want to have these unaccountable central planners making decisions. We need decentralization. And the solution, therefore, is to maintain public money in the hands of local community banks, decentralize decision-making, give local people the power in the form of local public banks and local not-for-profit community banks. As I walked in, I was delighted to see that the um, Gottlieb Duttweiler Institute is also about Genossenschaft and cooperatives. And of course, the majority of banks in Germany are cooperative banks. Um, and that's really what we need. So